right. All right. Yep, we're good to go. All right, folks. It is episode, fuck, what is it? 14, I think. I did 13 the other night. Uh, I don't know. You would think I'd have more shit together, but I guess this is just my MO of not having much. Yeah, okay. It's episode 14. As you can see in the title, I have Sam Burns here, the owner of Accuracy Obsession, Sam B300 on Sniper's Hide, and uh, he's a good buddy of mine. And I'm going to kind of just let Sam get started talking about how he got really started shooting first because first and foremost you're a shooter and then we'll get into more like how you got into creating the products yeah so man thanks for having me on sure dude uh yeah i mean how i got started i think how a lot of people got started you know shooting with my dad he wasn't into competitions or anything like that but we would you know hunt fish shoot we kind of got into reloading together and and doing that and i always was drawn so you, wait, wait, you got you got into reloading with him or was yeah. he already reloading yeah he he was i mean on a on a small scale if you think about kind of the basic setup that we might use a, a lee you know one of the anniversary press setups, something like yeah, that single stage press oh yeah yeah you know, some years old still does good. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, reloading for aught six for a deer rifle and yeah. you know, eventually a three oh eight, stuff like that. Nothing nothing ever fancy or high end, but you know, it put deer down and we had fun at the range, stuff like that. So that's kinda how I got into it and my first real rifle, again, like a lot of people, was a savage oh, and yeah. that that did fine. I mean, it, it shot great. It wasn't something I think I would have done awesome with at a match nowadays, but for laying prone and shooting groups, I mean, that thing would drill just like anything else. So, yeah. Well, especially given I, what, you know, if, you know, 30 alt six, one, and then like Savage two, that's going to be plenty for someone hunting whitetail in Wisconsin or North Carolina or whatever. Yeah. You know, we get we get spoiled given what we do now to i mean my cheapest rifles i think i have are my hunting rifles because i mean they all do what they're intended their their intended purpose you know they don't have to be an action international to you know reliably go bang one time hopefully and kill your animal you, you know kill your quarry so you know it's yeah everyone Everyone got started kind of in the same spot, you know, if, if you yeah. if you hunted at all, because, you know, you got some people who get started in this have never hunted a day in their life. You know, they're not hunters. It's the yeah. the the sport of hitting shit, you know, and, you know, that's that's what they drew them into it. Yeah. And that savage is really my stepping stone. I mean, when we hunted, it was, you know, Remington. But what's the semi-auto, the 7400? That was my first yeah. rifle. Well, 243. Yeah, SKS, Mosin-Nagant, I mean, it was like buying surplus ammo and stuff like that. We didn't have a lot of money, but you could bang steel 300 yards in the Mosin just fine. Yeah, I've done it, yeah. Ended up getting the Savage because I worked at Gander Mountain in college. I worked at the gun counter, and they had the tactical version. It had the McMillan stock, you know, it was all blacked out. Oh, shit. I could get get 168 smks 168s right i mean <laughs> yeah and yeah i mean the range we shot i went to 300 yards and that was that was how i got hooked was you know 
doing load workup and shooting a, I remember shooting a one inch group at 300 yards of that savage. And I was like, fuck yeah. You know, yeah, you cut it out and put it on the wall and you're like, oh, I'm yeah. the shit, man. Uh, yeah. I'm away with a savage it. all day. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, the, uh, the 168 SMK dude, that is like, people don't give it the credit it's due. I know it's the, everyone does admit that the 168s and 175s when loaded by federal, it, if your 308 doesn't shoot either one of those, throw your 308 away or, yeah, or sure. rebarrel it or something or quit shooting because they all shoot well. But, man, I'll tell you, I've killed a lot of deer with a 168 SMK out of a 308. I mean, I I love it. And, you know, and David Tubb talking about with his uh, nose tool ring, he, he really designed that uh, that tool, that nose ring tool. Um, for like SMKs okay. and they did the majority of the testing with it and come out with it yet. I'm like on the, the call list whenever it's ready, whatever. Cause I'm so excited about it. Just to just, I court, you know, Frank in one of his podcasts when after shot show was talking about it. He said that they saw the, I don't know, they showed him video or pictures or whatever of what a one seven, uh, I think it was a one sixty eight. Is it a one sixty eight or one seventy five? Uh, match king did and he said it was absolute carnage like he says he's never seen anything like that terminally at all and i was like oh my god i've got to get one and i've never lost a deer because of an smk but you know if it can just turn it to something like that fuck yeah i don't give a damn about the bc improvement or uniformity i wonder what it does to for expansion you know so was that just a side effect of that tool? Because I thought it was no, to uniform no, the BC. It, well, it, the, if I'm not mistaken, I don't want to misspeak, but if I remember correctly, it was from David Tubb doing a whole lot of baboon hunting in Africa, mm-hmm. and he felt as though his 115s um, didn't, the DTAX didn't, they worked. I mean, they killed what you, you know, what you shot, but I mean, I, they didn't perform terminally to what he wanted and i think it was kind of a a 50 50 thing of what the motivation was behind it you know as far as okay. uniform the bc because he even says that doing that it's uh it can even possibly lower the bc a little bit but okay. the, the object is is to make it consistent mm-hmm. you know maybe drop a couple points but they're all dropped a couple points and they're all the equal yeah. and the same. And that's more important than having those couple points back and then not being consistent. But yeah. man, like I said, the biggest sell on me is, is for match Kings is shooting. Yeah. Cause I love throwing a, you know, my, I, like I said, any three Oh eight shooting federal gold medal match, it'll, they'll all yeah. shoot, you know? So I would definitely be uh, looking forward to doing, doing that just for 308 on on game and stuff so i'm I'm interested to see the results yeah it's gonna be awesome because i know in uh whichever one of the applied ballistics books volume whatever lits has a whole thing on cutting the tips and pointing the tips on different hybrids and what it would do for bc i don't know if he really touched much on consistency but it'd be interesting to compare that to that nose ring tool and say hey if i trim this and point it versus doing this nose ring tool maybe tub already has that data in his pocket but be cool to see what what it can do because now all the new burgers and all the sierras are pointed from the factory 
Which so is good. Be, yeah, which is good. Yeah. But so you know, it to, to me, um, I mean, in, in, look, and in what we're talking about doing and what we're shooting, dude. I mean, the tipping, the the pointing bullets, and you know, it's it's a little much for what our game is. If we're F class yeah. and all that stuff, but and, and even if it was, so the, the way the allure to this tool of David seems to be chuck the fucker up in a you know Dewalt drill and just put a whole loaded round in there, okay. zip zip and it's done. And I'd still even if it was just for shooting matches. I don't know that I would do it, but mm-hmm. given that I can take, you know, five or six boxes of 308 and just zip, 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 and that's my hunting ammo, you know, yeah. hell yeah, I'll do that. But yeah, I don't sense. know that I would take the time, I mean, especially shoot, shooting something like a 105 hybrid or a 140 hybrid. Um, I mean, they're, they're so good from the factory, um, and the, the BCs are so good, and they're just an accurate damn bullet. And so I just yeah. don't see the uh, the diminishing returns of my time and effort. I've mentioned here on the podcast, I've even talked to you about it, I don't like reloading. I don't enjoy it. It's not something like a hobby in it of itself. It's yeah. a way, a, a means to an end. They don't, no one makes, you know, six dasher factory ammo other than like Copper Creek, but then you're mm-hmm. not a, you're not talking about Hornady six Creedmoor prices either, yeah. um, you know, but or or a 25 Creedmoor or a 25 BR or a, any any of these calibers that we shoot that aren't the mainstream six Creedmoor, six five Creedmoor, 308 stuff like that. Um, yeah, it's just I, I think it's still d- diminishing returns, but when you're changing what that bullet does, they all fly well. You maybe can change to where they fly better, but when you're the purpose is changing what that bullet does, like expansion, mm-hmm. that makes it worth it. And how many critters are you gonna kill in a year? So in in, yeah. in five minutes, I can do every round that I plan on shooting something, you know, with a heart in it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Five minutes, I'm done. So and you know you got a lot of these guys that that are in this sport that that we play in that they go bench rest F class extents and, and practices. I've, I mean, more power to them because I, I, I guess they like it and that I wish I enjoyed it because I'd probably be a better hand loader than I am. Yeah. Um, but it's, like I said, it's a means to an end to shoot what I want to shoot. And, you know, more power to everybody that loves doing it. I'd rather be watching TV, drinking beer, sitting in my recliner rather than up here in the reloading room yeah. on a fucking wooden stool, you know, hurting my back, <laughs> hurting my back yeah. all day. So, but we got the beer part going. What you you said a minute ago, you're drinking the Deschutes IPA. This is uh, one I was drinking the other night. This is a Flying Dog Raging Bitch. It's eight point yeah, three. Good. Yeah. yeah. I like yeah, I got that. the Deschutes Fresh Squeezed, which is one of my favorites. Bell's Too Hearted, Bell's mm-hmm. Hop Slam. That one's. We had that. Mm-hmm, had that slam. It's seasonal, so it's probably gone at this point. But it comes out January, February. It's a uh, ten point something percent with honey in it, and it's hop. It's a hop monster. It's amazing. Every year, I always. It's like seventeen bucks for a six pack, so it's pretty pricey. Shit! But Holy it's hell! Really good. Yeah, I mean, I, I was telling you a minute ago, I was going to save it for the, for the podcast, that Sierra Nevada, you mentioned how much you enjoy Sierra Nevada. Dude, 
it is my, it is the ultimate. I mean, Sierra Nevada is in Asheville, North Carolina, okay. and I've been there a couple times, and it is like an adult playground. It is yeah. so awesome. They've got like the first of all, the brewery is awesome. I mean, and then the restaurant is a legit four star restaurant, which the food was amazing. And all the employees there are like beer gurus, like more yeah. so than you would like. You would think like, oh, yeah, of course, they got to know their products and whatever that they're selling or that, you know, for their, their employers. But no, these people are like passionate, like the waiters and waitresses in the restaurants. They can answer any beer question you got. And they know like different special runs they did back three years ago, stuff like that. Um, they know how to pair your beer well with whatever it is you're eating. Um, and then outside also outside, they've got a gigantic patio area with these huge gas fire pits, dog friendly. There's dogs everywhere. They've got ladder golf, cornhole music going. They got a bar outside. Just go get your beer. And dude, it is an epic. You can spend the, spend all day there. Get there in the morning, stay and shut the place down and get fucked up. I mean, the place is yeah. awesome. And they sell, they've got beers there that they offer. You can drink all day long that that will never be canned or bottled. Okay. So you get shit that you're not ever going to find in the store. So I mean, and those, those it's awesome. The in the I mean, it's on a fucking compound, dude. It's like the the property they've got is like the Biltmore. I don't know if you're familiar with what the Biltmore State no. is. Uh, the Vanderbilts in North Carolina in Asheville. It's like a palace. It's it's okay. a legit. It's like a I don't know, fucking 20,000 square foot mansion on it. It used to have tens of thousands or I don't remember how many acres it initially was, but they sold a lot of it. But anyway, the Sierra Nevada has got its own thing, like huge amounts of property that the place sits on. It's absolutely fucking gorgeous in the mountains of North Carolina. It's so awesome, dude. So if you're ever in North Carolina, you need to go to Asheville and spend, you know, six days in Asheville and hit all the breweries. <laughs> Wicked Weed, Sierra Nevada, uh, New Belgium, um, uh, Highland, uh, all of these places, dude. It's like the beer capital of the East Coast for sure. Yeah. So, dude, nice. it's so much fun. At Sierra. Sierra Nevada is my favorite brewery to go to. Wicked Weed's good too, but Sierra Nevada is the best one, dude. And yeah. it's good that you like the beer because it's it's a cool to see a beer or a product that you like a lot that the company that makes it is also equally as cool. You know what I'm yeah. saying? You, you like them as much as you like the beer. So uh, back on track. So yeah, the Savage. So the Savage was your stepping stone into, into the PRS game. Yeah. I, uh, well, and another thing that I share with my dad, we're both cross-eye dominant. So I'm oh, right-handed, left-eye dominant. And I always kind of struggle with that. And, uh, I, I shot archery when I was younger. I don't anymore. But when I got a left-handed bow, it really changed everything for me. Made it so much more natural. My left eye is just a lot stronger than my right eye as well. So there's always this debate. It could be a whole other conversation on guys like Frank that are cross-eye dominant, shoot right-handed, and obviously dominate. For me, my right eye is just so weak. I have to close my left eye to shoot. I get that eye twitch it doesn't oh, work for me but I if i it. shoot with my left eye i can i can stay on glass all day and not get fatigued so it works for me it's what i recommend for people that are on the fence but yeah it's different and, for everybody 
Yeah, dude, I was just like literally 10 minutes before you called me earlier or texted me earlier. Um, I was, I don't know if you can see me back behind me. Yeah. I was dry firing my barricade and uh, I was dry firing uh, weak side and I don't do it enough and I need to do it more. And tonight proved it. My, I mean, it was literally all I wanted to do was just take my hand off the gun and just cover my right eye because yeah. just that squinting of my right eye. And then if I tried, which I shoot with both eyes open when I'm, you know, shooting on strong side. But if I did that, my right eye would take over like that. Yeah. It was just, I'm looking at the side of the bell housing of the scope yeah. as opposed to the reticle. And it's, but like you said, I think depending on, it's kind of like uh, I don't even know it's a word. It's not a catch twenty two, but I guess it all depends on when you got started shooting and when you. I mean, like my mom is right handed in everything in that she does on her day to day basis. But when she was a kid, her older brother taught her how to swing a baseball bat. Well, she's right handed, right eye dominant, right everything. But my uncle was left handed. So he okay. taught her how to taught her how to hit left-handed. So she can't yeah. bat she couldn't bat right-handed to save her life, but left-handed she could. And it's just what she learned because yeah. of well what she was taught. So you moving over in archery to in, at a young age over to the left a left-handed bow, regardless of what dominant hand you are, you know, you 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 did it at the right time. You did that at the right time. And where it wasn't as big as a handicap to you. But if someone is dead set on, you know, if they're right handed, left eye dominant like you are, they if you work at like Frank says, if you work at it, you can make it work. But, you know, like I said, I think it depends on a lot on, well, how long have you been doing it and how long have you been doing it that way to where would it be? counterintuitive to try to switch left-handed yeah i mean i didn't start shooting prs type matches until 2016 and i'm 35 so it's not like i've been shooting off a barricade since i was eight years old or anything like that i just right yeah kind of I, i tried to work it both ways and realized it that that's just better for me i mean i can sit down in an eye chart i wear glasses but my left eye is just so much better than my right eye, even though they're corrected. And that's a big part of it too. Cause like iron sights, I just, I couldn't shoot very well with my right eye. Even if I, oh, I tried yeah, I the tape, imagine. I tried the eye patch. I tried all that stuff that like, you know, Palma guys or high power oh, yeah. guys would use. And it just, it didn't work for me. Yeah. But bi- biathlon shooters and shit. Yeah. But I got two, two, two points. One, is just an interesting thing that I've read about is for club sports or bat sports like baseball or tennis, it's actually an advantage to be cross-eye dominant. So if you think about it, if you're right-handed, left-eye dominant, your left eye is the first one seeing the ball. The first thing seeing it, and it's not occluded by the bridge of your nose. So I I think a lot of good, I don't have the facts on this, but I think a lot of big ball players are actually left-eye dominant. Yeah, yeah. The other thing is just to to talk about practice. I don't I don't have a strict practice regimen when I go to the range. I don't really go to the range very often, just due to time. Yeah. But when you yeah. go and you lay down to foul your barrel, or you say, "Okay, I'm going to shoot my ten rounds through the magneto speed," make yourself shoot with your opposite hand and eye. Just do it. 
even if it's five or 10 rounds a session, it will make a difference because in a two day PRS match, you might have five or 10 rounds a weak side, but it is, I laugh when I see people shoot weak side because strong side, you see them square up. Their hips are right behind their head is straight. They're just crushing it. And then they go weak side and they turn into an army man. Their head oh, yeah. is craned over you know, their, their cheek piece might be right in the middle of the stock, but their head's craned. And then they come oh, off yeah. and they're like, I couldn't, I couldn't find the target. I couldn't yeah, get they're, it. They're trying to overcorrect yeah. to see not look Well, my cheek piece is actually moved over. Yeah. To, it could be just so that I can get my head as straight yep. as I can, you know, when I'm behind the scope on my strong side. And I do feel that it probably is hindering me a little bit on going weak side. But I think you can still make it work by practice, like you said. But yeah. when you're when you're you see people like you said, with people with the cheek piece in the dead center, still they're cranking their neck over. That's I think. Is what, what's the obvious is that they're trying to get that left eye to take over and get it square yeah. behind the scope and it's just not working for them. Now my, as far as shooting like my hands and everything, that's not a problem. It's literally only my, letting my left eye, making my left eye take over in domination there and looking and seeing my reticle and not seeing a bunch of scope shadow going all yeah. over the place and shit. So, I mean, it's, it's something that you got to, you got to practice it or you're going to literally eat shit. Yeah. And it's, whenever it's you're not, made to do it. Yeah. It's not fun. It's just like anything. It's more fun to shoot bug holes prone than it is to go on a barricade and get your ass kicked. But I mean, I, I think it's a, a big part of a bigger discussion with like, you've talked about that. Um, what's the name of the book again? The shooter's mindset secrets, or no, secrets of mental marksmanship. Yeah. I mean, I, that I haven't read that book, but the mental side of mass shooting is really big to me. And no, that, that's 90%. I mean, my yeah. opinion, it's, it's way more than the shooting because like, like me in the past with my problems, I have fucking bombed the stage before it's when I'm on deck, I bombed it Yeah. from, from just from up here and, uh, not either not being mentally prepared correctly or, letting the last stage affect my next stage or, you know, not just not focusing on what I'm supposed to do on what I'm supposed to do. And something that's, I'm glad you mentioned the book. One of the things that the book talks about is you, you don't need to ever focus on outcome. You need to focus on performance, meaning it's like basically the example of that would be is when you can't really control what happens once that bullet leaves the barrel you cannot control it you can't bend it like that fucking dumbass movie you can't stop it ho 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 come on back and let me reshoot that you can't do that but what you can do is you can focus on before pulling the trigger focus on your trigger pull your breathing sight picture uh looking at the environment the environment around your target all those things uh natural point of aim you if if you focus while on the clock in, you know, while you're shooting, you focus on those things. Well, the the result will work itself out one way or another. But the what you can control is what you need to focus on. You can control when you break that shot. You can control how you're breathing before and during pulling that shot. You, you know, you can control your natural point of aim. You can't control what happens when that barrel leaves or especially where you place 
at the end of the weekend. Yeah. You can't control that because look, if you're if you're shooting a match with a bunch of absolute killers, guys that have just you know, think of all the superstars or whatever in the sport, if you're shooting a match with nothing but them, you could shoot your best performance and still finish in your worst place. Mm-hmm. Or vice versa. You could not shoot so great, but if you're shooting a bunch of fuds or or maybe new guys, then your, did your performance really reflect your result? I, I, that's a good question to ask because yeah. it's all in who you're shooting with. So you can't control where your name is at the end on Sunday afternoon of how you placed. You can control every shot that you took before taking it. So yeah. and then you know what you did on the next stage. That's and that, well, well with your mind. You know you can control that. So that's what you need to focus on. And the results will work themselves out. Even if I shot my best match, I'm not going to beat a Matt Brousseau. I'm, I'm, he's, I mean, he's got the more time in. He's got the more practice in. He's got the more experience. He's maybe just a better natural shooter than I am. All this, I can't control that. But I can control, you know, what I did to get where I was. So that's where you need to focus because then all of that, you shoot every shot the best you can. You're going to place as high as that you physically can place. Yeah. No matter who's there, you're going to you're going to you're going to place as high as that you could have on that day no matter what to your ability. So that's that's one of the things that that book um emphasizes on and is all and what is I mean, it kind of gives you hope. It's like if you're setting goals and goal setting is a big portion of it. It's like don't set a goal that I'm going to win a match this year. Well, that's a result goal. You can't you can't control that. You can control mm-hmm. how you shoot. You can control a goal of <clears throat> I want to uh, have 100% of perfect trigger pulls. That's a goal. Yeah. You know, and um, that that that's something that's a small example of what you can control. And you know, everyone's gonna have errors. It's just you know, no, nobody's perfect, but. You know, it's, it's it's focusing on those things that can be controlled, and then let the chips fall where they may, type thing. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's that's that book. I, you need to you need to get. It. In fact, I'll I'll send it to you so you can read it and send it back to me. That way, you ain't gonna buy it. Yeah. Yeah, I'll send it to you. No biggie. Um. So yeah, so tell me about your your first your first real year of shooting matches. So, I mean, there's kind of a gap where I, you know, I had that Savage and I shot it. And really, for a while, I lost it after AIs. I mean, I always did. Most I remember there, there was some freaking <laughs> article in, in, a, in a gun magazine. And I, you know, I would frequently just chuck magazines out. But I always kept this one. It was an AW with a Schmidt and Bender. And it was a review of this from the, the really... From the early 2000s, yeah, and I was I was just you know really really wanted that rifle, and I knew I wanted to go to a left-handed rifle. I just I didn't want to, especially with an AW money. I didn't want to go spend that kind of money on a righty, and I knew lefties existed, but I didn't. They were like six grand at the time or something like that. So I waited for a while, and when the AT came out and they announced it was in left-handed. I I was I I'm not saying I was the first guy to get one, but I was I was on it. You're on it quick. Yeah, so that was I don't know if it was 2015 or 2016, but 
yeah, and I pretty much just, I started with a 6.5 Creed barrel, and that was beneath me, so I went to the Gentleman's Caliber 6.5 by 47 Lapua, the the best caliber ever made. (laughs) Yeah. And, uh, no, I, I shot my first match, it was a local match, I'm in Wisconsin, in Milwaukee, the Illinois border's like an hour away, and I shot with, um, some local guys, one guy, his name's Andy Folk. He runs the firm rifles. He's a gunsmith mm-hmm. in Illinois. Check him oh, out. Yeah. He's a good guy. Oh, so yeah. he's got his house, farm, whatever. So this is the very first match I ever shot. And I don't know how many guys there were, but it was unbelievably windy. So Wisconsin's not really that windy. A typical match is maybe five or seven miles an hour. Pretty constant. You know, it's what do you hold in? Four tenths? Okay. You, you've got your wind figured out all day kind of thing. And right. this match was 20 miles an hour. And oh. it was it was amazing. I, I mean, I loved it. I, I got my ass wrecked on barricades. But prone, I was good. I've always been good at prone. It's because it's mm-hmm. mental. I, men, the oh, mental yeah. side of it is is my strength. Yeah, well, it's a, it's a, it's a confidence thing. You know, it's like you, you are... Even if you may have been uh, maybe even unbeknownst to you, but an equally good barricade shooter, you were probably a lot more confident. Prone, you know, you you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Or not maybe oh, not just you, sure. but anybody, right? Yeah, you're more confident prone, so you're like, oh, this is my bread and butter. I'm good. You know it's what I'm saying? Everybody's bread and butter, or or so they think. Really, I mean, some people they. They're better at prone than barricade, but they're still not. I'm, I'm not. I'd rather sh- I'd rather shoot a PRS barricade. Uh, well, not the the like the the tiebreaker setup, you know, big fucking gigantic plate at 400 yards. Yeah. But I mean, like that. If you took even the distance, I've shot them at seven, eight hundred yards, um, and enjoy. I I I really like shooting off of, of a good sturdy barricade. At, at decent like levels and heights and stuff, I'd rather do that than prone. Yeah. Um, you know, it's just you're not going to see a whole lot of 800 yard targets at that distance. You know, no. I'm okay. Even even the a four or five hundred yards, maybe a little bit smaller plate. I, I feel I don't feel handicapped going up to. You know, I practice yeah. it. I mean, I practice it so much in here. You know, it's almost like, okay, this is old shoe. You know what I'm saying? And even Mm -hmm. prone, I mean, prone is too. I mean, I'm on my belly a lot, and I shoot a lot of 100-yard groups, 200-yard groups here at the house. Um, But, uh, yeah, I I don't feel like, oh, crap, this is a PRS barricade. You know what I'm saying? You know, regardless if it's the the tiebreaker stage, which, I mean, that's when the the time gets in everybody's head. Like, oh, I got to fly through this. Yeah. Well, I mean, you just drop two, and I'm guilty of it too. Definitely, I'm talking about myself. You just drop one or two shots that you wouldn't have to. Yeah. Yeah. That's gonna that's gonna hurt you worse than the time you finished in. You know. Yeah. So so that match, I don't remember where I placed. I honestly did fairly well. There might have been 20 guys, and I came in fifth or something. I don't remember, but I do vividly remember the very last stage of the day is. If you want to hook somebody in the sport, it was the perfect setup. It was a modified prone, so it was this big dirt berm. You had to shoot off the left side, the middle, and the right side. And it was at some Ipsic 
it target at 600 yards and I held two mils of wind. This is my very Jeez. first match. Now, if you're out in Oklahoma or something, you might think, oh, this, this guy's yeah, pussy Kansas. or whatever. Yeah. But this yeah. is the first, I mean, my, my local range goes to 600, but I never have to hold any wind hardly at all. Right. Yeah. And I clean, I cleaned it. I got a six <laughs> out of, I got a six out of six holding nice. two mils of wind. And I'm like, this is so fucking awesome. It was so yeah. much fun. And, I had a blast and that was that was it. I didn't know anybody. I knew like one guy there and it was just a lot of fun and I mean that that was my first match with the lefty AT and the thing was just caked in this red clay sand and the thing was fine. So that oh, yeah. that got me hooked on that too. So it was from there that was like everything in life before kids I could do yeah. it more and spend more money and oh, spend yeah. more time and so then from there, I shot my first PRS match down at K&M. Um, my dad lives an hour away, so it was easy button for me. I just stayed with him, oh, yeah. drove down there, and, I mean, Shannon runs an awesome match. And this was in 2016 before everybody had digital everything, so it was still on paper and stuff like that. But oh, yeah. it's incredible how smooth that ran. And I that was awesome, too, because I signed up, and I said I this is my first PRS match, and the lady behind the counter says, oh, yeah, you know, we'll, we'll put you in squad one. You know, you'll have a good time. And that was Christine Allen. So I shot with her, Brian Allen, Bradley Allen, Terry Cross. It was, like, you, you incredible. Put, couldn't have put you in a better in a better it, squad. It was incredible. It was so much fun. They were Everybody was super nice. And, honestly, I did really good for being my first match. And, you know, you talk about – no bad trigger pulls that that's that's my strength is like i shot two days and i obviously didn't hit every target you know i was in the squad with the winner you know bradley allen freaking won yeah and Go I, I i ended up and i was just like i didn't have a bad trigger pull i missed off barricades and stuff like that but i didn't jerk the trigger it wasn't, yeah, it wasn't due to trigger pull yeah and yeah. i was just learning i mean i'd been shooting prs type stuff for a couple months and it was it was so much fun i wish i could shoot more two-day matches but my club series is so good and two days are just you know four days away from the family a ton of money I, I, it's hard for me to swing it right now well and you know it's and that's kind of like the same same situation that a lot of shooters are in including myself you shoot, and I do shoot two days and stuff like that, but, you know, you, you shoot what you want to. You're not going like, oh, I need to go hit this match because I need the points. Yeah. I, I'm i not that shooter either because, well, first of all, I'm not getting many points anyway, but, I mean, second of all, it's the my end goal as far as, I guess, over the span of a year is not to, like, I got to make it to the finale. I got to, you know, I want to be in the uh, the – season rankings and stuff like that i go and shoot the matches i want to because they sound fun and the people i know that are going to be there and you know all of that stuff and if you know that's if you've got if you're lucky enough to have a really cool club series you know and that you can hit you know no problem anytime they have a match i mean you just i mean you beat the whole game i mean you got yeah. you're doing what you're doing you're doing what you yeah. want to do and you're getting out of it what you're wanting out of it, which is either A, making your, well, multiple things, but making yourself a better shooter, but also B, uh, um, seeing people that you want to see and hanging out with. I mean, look, I go to these matches. I mean, a lot of times I RO simply because 
I don't feel like shooting, but I've, I want to see my friends. You know what I'm saying? And yeah. and matches and stuff is when I see them. So and and there's a lot to be said about that. You know about the what you're getting out of the camaraderie. What how much of your experience are you um, contributing to the people that you're with as opposed to, oh, well, I placed this, I placed that, I beat this guy, you know, whatever, almost beat this guy, almost had him, one bad. It doesn't matter. Some, you know, there, if you can go to have fun, I don't give a fuck what anybody says. This is a goddamn hobby. Yeah, this is not sure. a way. Of, this is not a way of life for anybody. Nobody is paying their bills and putting food on their table via precision rifle. No. Other than instructors, but as far as competing, nobody yeah. is doing that. No one's got fucking agents. You know, no one's no one's got, you know, these big million dollar prizes or anything. It's, no one's doing that. This is a hobby. And just like any other hobby, you can get out of whatever you're willing to invest in it. And yeah. whether that be monetary or whether it be your time and effort and stuff like that. So, you know, I always say, I mean, the old adage, I didn't make it up by no stretch, but, you know, don't be mad at the results you got based off of the lack of effort you didn't put in. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? So I, I'm not out there shooting 308, uh, you know, 5,000 rounds of 308 or 223 a year practicing. You know, I practice a lot of dry fire and I practice when I can, but a lot of my practice is actually shooting matches, you know. <laughs> so Yeah, me too. You know, yeah, some of the like I, I listen to VP Precision podcast, which is is really good resource. But honestly, I I couldn't even if I was a bachelor or didn't have a kid or had a job that paid twice as much, being on the road 15, 20 weekends a year, I I couldn't do it. Ment the mental game, well, I would lose. It. I mean, I want to be almost, home. I'm I, I'm oh, a home yeah. body in me some too. ways. So. Oh yeah, and and it's almost to me something. Now, this is just me personally. I'm not speaking for anybody else, but me personally, it, it to me, it would take a little bit of the enjoyment. It would feel more like work. Yeah. Maybe that's a lack of drive. Maybe that's a lack of yeah. um, initiative that I had that I that I'm having a lack of that you know. Well, well, you're not gonna get any better than this because of this attitude or this. Well, so be it, damn it. I don't, yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I, I, I shoot to have fun, but if I hate, I hate airports. I hate flying. The, the act of flying doesn't bother me. Shit, I don't give a damn about that. But the, the process to and from, all that crap, I, I can't stand it. I don't, you know, it, so that, it would almost turn me off. Like, I would probably get burned out. If, if I hit the lotto, I have to work. And I could pay to have my wife and son go with me, all that stuff that money could afford. If I took a whole year, like, you know, what? I'm going to shoot this match, this match, this match, all of these different states all over the country. Like a lot of these guys do without hitting the lotto, I would be burned the fuck out. Like, I, I think I'd be like, man, I'm going to go to fuck home. I want to sleep in my bed. I want to, you know, go fishing. I want to, you know, do absolutely nothing. At my house, I'm going to sit in my chair and grow roots, my ass grow roots to my chair. <laughs> and then that's what I would go watch Netflix or, you know what I'm saying? I, I'd get sick of, of the the hustle and bustle that comes along with the shooting. The shooting would be fun, but everything that would be around it would be what would get on my fucking nerves. And so, so, so with that said, more power to the guys that are doing it, that are doing all the traveling. Yeah, uh, I tell you sure. what, it's. 
Keith Baker, I tell you, that motherfucker travels his ass off, dude. He shoots about as many front-line defense matches here in North Carolina as I do. If it's a two-day, he comes all the way here from yeah. Ohio and, and shoots. And, uh, more, I mean, I, I'm jealous of him having that drive to – and look, there ain't many people who put more rounds down range per year than Keith Baker. Yeah, it's – I mean, you got to have a supportive wife and family, a supportive job, a supportive bank account. I mean, everybody, I don't – I'm definitely not – I don't hate the players, man. Those guys God, are good. And, you know, I hear VP when they're saying, oh, I got back from the match, you know, Monday morning at 2 a.m. I went to work, and then Thursday I flew out for another match, and the next weekend I hosted a match, and I'm like – I'm burnt out after How one do two-day do match. I, dude, I don't know. Dude, I don't want to. I mean, really. I, I don't I, I like do shooting back-to-back matches, even oh. even something that's not a lot of traveling. You know what I'm saying? Like there was before this fucking coronavirus bullshit got started. I was supposed to shoot. Um, what was it? It was a two-day in West Virginia. Turn around and shoot the Guardian the next weekend. And then was thinking about shooting a one day shortly after that, like within a month's worth of weekends yeah. and uh, or, or, or four weekends. And I was like, fuck, that's going to be a lot of damn shooting. I, I, you know, it didn't work out that we're, we're not shooting anything right now. But, you know, it was um, going to be I, I knew that it was going to take its toll on me because I shoot for fun. And if I, yeah. I'm tired or if I want to do something else, but I paid my money and I'm going to. I'm gonna go shoot it, and like I'm not gonna I'm not gonna shoot as well because I'm not gonna yeah. be all into it and excited about it, you know. Yeah. So, but the guys that do it like that, man, they've got some drive that I just don't know nothing about. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I yeah. just I just don't I'm just not built that way, you know. No. Yeah. So I'll give uh I'll give a quick shout out to my local club series. So it's there's I believe there's the the Midwest is really awesome. I mean, we've got Illinois, Wisconsin, Michigan. Minnesota, Iowa, all the surrounding states. So Jim C does the border, border wars. Oh yeah. Which is which is huge. And my local MD is a husband and wife, so Ken and Missy Wheeler and then Nate Whitehead. He runs the Michigan match, but he's in Wisconsin. Seems like for every match. And they've just done an awesome job. So the past couple of years they put a ton of money, ton of time into it. The range is awesome and to have a one day club match like that an hour away where I can leave at 6 a.m. and be home at 5 p.m. and have dinner with the family and oh, yeah. get that kind of experience. I, I am very lucky to have that and I'm very appreciative and I know coronavirus sucks now. I mean, it's, it is going to be matches back to back weekends or who knows how they're going to get the season to work. Cause we are supposed to have two matches already and neither one of them happens. So well, wasn't well, there a we'll debate see. whether or not they were going to even reschedule them or not? Because I, I thought well, that was a whole big stink on Facebook in the PRS members' Facebook page that they had said something to the effect of the thread got deleted because of all the shit inside. Yeah, of it. I don't know. But it was Ours, basically yeah. these are they're, they're not we're not rescheduling. They're canceled because we're not going to go and basically crowd and flood the match market. In other times of the year where, you know, a match that may be scheduled for September now has, you know, two matches on the same weekend. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, so I don't know. And I do know that um, 
Drew with the war match in uh, West Virginia, he basically said, look, I don't give a damn if it counts for points or not. I'm having, I'm rescheduling this match. This match is happening. If you want your refund, you can, but this match is going to fucking happen because I've got a gangster ass prize table and a big money prize as well that it's going to be just sitting in the safe and I don't want to return it. I want to give it to shooters and he's going to have the match and I'm excited about it. I'm going to, you know, I haven't put, you know, too many eggs in many other matches for remaining part of the year yet. I know I have one in June uh, the 6th and 7th at, uh, in Virginia at uh, Pig River, which that's Josh Bandy's, and it's uh, it's a kick-ass match too, dude. It's tough, and it's but it's fun. It's gorgeous. But, um, you know, hell, even that match, they he, he hadn't said nothing yet, you know, in detail, but he it's still scheduled, but fucking piece of shit Ralph Northam, the governor there in Virginia, has uh, extended the stay at home until June 10th. Well, that's the fucking that's three days after the damn yeah. match. And I was like, Josh, are we going to reschedule this? He says, we're hoping some things change. Yeah. So that it could be a case that that match doesn't even happen. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I mean, our our club match is uh, the PRS regional. So I think the MDs can kind of do what they want. But I'm not sure because I saw NRL put out something about what they were doing. And it seemed like they were pushing matches into 2021, which. Yeah, they're changing. I didn't. The, I didn't you're changing under- the end of the season to April so that basically now would be the start of the season in hopes that they get a full season in by this time next year. So they're basically yeah. going to be, you know, kind of like how the Super Bowl in football is not it, – it's the following year. You know, it's in – you know, it's, it's, it's not in the same the 2021 years. season because that season starts in January. Well, yeah, May, so well, I don't know what they're going to have to. They're going to have to push it back. I mean, you got to yeah. think about it too, though. This is some unprecedented shit we're dealing yeah. with. Yeah, this isn't like some like bad weather shit. Like this is where you know this is some unprecedented shit we're dealing yeah. with, and so they're going to probably have to do drastic changes to make it work. And hey, my hats off to to Travis and Tyler. Yeah. Or for in you know to in um whoever else is making those calls, that sounds like a cool idea to get kind of around this problem. Hey, there's nothing saying that uh, a match season has to start in January. Well, think about it. How cool, how cool is it to shoot a match in January up there where you are? Yeah, we don't, our off season is like six months. Right. It's colder (laughs) than a well digger's ass up there. And how would you like shooting, need a fucking snowplow to, to, you know, shoot your stage, you know? So it's and it, it actually kind of it wouldn't have been a bad idea to do despite coronavirus like, hey, we but by us moving the year, I mean, the, the beginning of the season later in the year, you know, we can I mean, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not what I'm talking about maybe like holding the matches down here. There's really not a time down here in North Carolina that you can't hold a match. Yeah, right. I mean, I've shot many matches that were like 38 degrees and pissing rain. 38 degrees is nothing. 38 degrees and where you can barely see a target at 400 yards because of the rain, yeah. that sucks ass. Yep. And I've shot those matches, and it was fucking miserable. Yeah. Um, you know, I was always disappointed. Like, look, I didn't pay money to be fucking miserable. Like, I'm yep. not chasing <laughs> points. I'm not going to be scaring the shit out of the guy that comes in first. What the fuck am I doing here? You know what I'm saying? Yep. But, you know, sticking it out, but. I'm like, I'd be better off sitting underneath the shelter drinking beer and waiting for everybody to get finished and shit and then, you know, or go to fuck home. 
you know, it, but if you I mean the serious competitor isn't, but I don't really consider myself to be like the, the serious competitor. I maybe I should be more serious than I am, but you know, it's, you know, it's, but really though, you could hold the, the matches like that are up your way or even the Midwest, like the, the more Southern Midwest, um, the Kansas, the Oklahoma, all those places, um, you know, North Texas, you could hold those matches and so, southeast of that in the months that are colder, but then hold the, you know, the January, I mean, the, uh, the later year matches up there where you are because the weather is fine. You know what I'm saying? Yep. So where you can keep the whole, there's really not a big off season, you know? Yeah. So, you know, basically using y'all's weather in, uh, like an advantage to how it plays out, you know what I'm yeah. saying? So that, I mean, that's just a, a way, it's not a bad idea of a way to play it, in my opinion. So, um, but, uh, anyway, so back, back to, uh, your origin. So when did you get your first AX? Which you've got well, so, right? So the, uh, no, so, I mean, I had the AT and really what started me down the downward spiral into doing all this product design stuff is, uh, I had the, the BT-19 spigot with my Atlas bipod on it. And no matter what I did, it was kind of wiggly, you know, like a lot of people experience It's not a, a deal breaker, but I'm a yeah. little bit o- OCD in that way. So sure. my first attempt was I went on McMaster. I bought some like 5,000 thick shim stock and I shimmed it, glued it. And I was like, fuck yeah, I fixed it. And then I went out and shot once and the shims came out. Yeah. Like, oh Damn it. man. Yeah. That so, recalls a bitch. <laughs> so, recalls a bitch on glue. <laughs> Then I, I mean, really, just from that, it was that was the start of me taking everything apart. I, I figured out how to. I didn't have an armor's manual. I just, you know, took the skins off, unscrewed the flush cups, and drilled out the, you know, punched out the roll pins, and took out that bipod block that's in the AT four end. Well, before and, we go any further on product design, everything, let's just go and let everybody know what you do for a living. Well, I'm yeah, my nine to five. I'm a mechanical engineer, so I Boom. want to. There you go. Enough said. I mean, you know what I'm saying? It's like the engineer. Like I'm not, I'm not going and doing that shit you're doing. <laughs> I'm not doing it. You are because that's the way your brain works. You have yeah. the, uh, engineers are born. I promise you. Every engineer I know, and I know, I'm either related to or uh, have, have been close friends with uh, a bunch of engineers. All of your brains work the same fucking way, which is different than mine. Mm. But you you are all like cut from the same cloth. So it, it's amazing to me. I can talk to somebody and not know them and be like, you're an engineer, aren't you? You're in the engineering field. Well, yeah, I'm a, you know, electrical engineer. Like, yeah, I thought so. Yeah. yeah I thought, you know what I'm saying? I, you, you might as well wrote it in your goddamn forehead. Yeah. So, so you're using you're using your expertise, which is completely unrelated from firearms. But using the things that are, uh, you know, similar, same concepts and principles, and you're able to uh, produce, uh, come up with ideas and then know how to basically applicate those ideas and turn them and, you know, have them come to fruition into an actual product, which is awesome. Yeah. I mean, my 
when I was thinking about where to go to college, I was torn between art school and engineering. And I've always like had an, I, engineering. Yeah, I don't. I don't think I'd have a man bun even if I went to art school. But, and I hate. <laughs> yeah, I hate the might. smell of patchouli. <laughs> 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 but I, I mean, I. I thought it was more practical, and it does suit me. I'm analytical, but my nine to five, I work at a company that's aerospace manufacturing, so we do forging. So the like, what I always say is, think of a blacksmith; they make horseshoes, but think of making something that weighs five thousand pounds or ten thousand pounds. That's what we do. So I've worked on a lot of really cool stuff, uh, you know, Black Hawk helicopter parts, the new Sikorsky CH-53K, that's not even in full production yet, Caterpillar 400-ton mining trucks, and then if you've flown commercially, we make jet engine parts for it, guaranteed, so. Oh, yeah, I'm sure, I mean, y'all make stuff for Pratt & Whitney? Yep, Pratt, GE, Rolls-Royce. Anything specific to the 220Es? Uh, that I'm, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, we're, that's, that was my engine when I was in the air force, you know, I worked gotcha. on the two twenty E's. So, I mean, there were, I mean, yeah, just the makeup of that engine, you don't, when you're working on it, you don't feel like you're working on an engine. Like if you're working on a car, you feel like you're working on an engine. Mm-hmm. When you're working on a jet engine, you feel like you're working on a piece of machinery. Like yeah. this is a, a machinery in, you know, you know what I'm saying? With, you know, the difference of, or whatever. And you don't feel like you're, uh, like, I don't know how to, I don't know how to verbalize the way I'm, what I'm thinking and what I'm, the way it feels while working on those. It's just not as, you're not putting, they're not apples and oranges to where like, oh, you can work on an F-15 engine, you can work on a car or vice versa. Yeah. Uh, you know what I'm saying? So it's, uh, but you know, I remember when we had parts on them that, uh, that needed to go to, um, uh, NDI, non-destructive inspection. Um, do y'all have that department where in, in your workplace? Oh, yeah. Have yeah. We have, we have like magnetic and fluid particle inspect, but a big thing we do is all ultrasonic. So we have ultrasonic yeah. tanks. Okay. Yeah. See what they do, what the NDI troops do. And anytime since me getting out of, or while I was in or getting out of the air force and people said, Hey man, I'm thinking about joining the air force. And I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> are you sure you want to go to Air Force? And they're like, yeah, yeah, I'm gonna go to Air Force. Okay. Well, I don't, I don't know, what I want to do. Like, I, you know, I'm like, okay. First of all, you need to do something that's going to correlate to the outside world. Now, with that said, I have the job for you because any basic retard can do it. It's NDI. They, <laughs> they take the parts, they dip it in fluorescent. For, now, not all parts, not everything, but the majority of the stuff, dip it in fluorescent dye, hold it underneath the black light. Do you see a crack? Yep. It's bad, unserviceable. Is it good? Yeah. Throw it in, call them, tell them to come pick their shit up. That's it. Guess what? Yeah. They start out making 80k a year <laughs> doing the same shit that they did in uniform, you know, as a civilian. And I'm like, God, why did I not know about this when I was in? Because <laughs> before I came in, because that would have been like the most cake job. There's no overtime. There's no 12-hour shifts. I work 16-hour shifts all the time, and I live yeah. an hour away from base. So that was, you know, an 18 hour day. And there's no point point me even going home. And, you know, but those guys, it was open up at seven, close up at four. You better get your parts before four if you need them today. Yeah. And that type thing. And it was like the easiest, like just basic retard shit that you could do. But I mean, fuck, they pay a lot on the outside, you know, for these parts. So these are parts that 
places like you are making that are so, I guess, intricate that they have to go. Anytime that we would touch them, if they came off the engine, no matter what, even if that was the, even if it wasn't the reason why we were working on the engine, if it came off, it goes to NDI. Mm-hmm. Period. It's SOP. Is is if that uh the like the nose cone, the nose cone comes off the inlet of the engine, boom, the nose cone goes to NDI. So does the ring, the lock ring with it. And, you know, and so does this and so does that. All these different parts go to NDI. But, yeah, those uh, those parts, man, they're fucking expensive as shit. I know that we yeah. used to have hardware that were considered precious metals that were like, I'm not going to lie, like make up a number. But it was like an absolute absurd amount for like a nut mm-hmm. that goes on a goddamn bolt. Like that yeah. thing is like a week's paycheck for me. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so you had to like check everything out and all this crap. Like the main fuel control on that engine was like $250,000. And it was like, like it was heavy as a fucker. I mean, I think it was heavy as shit. It was like that big, 250 grand. Bam. Yep. $5 million jet engine. Yep. Crazy. So, so you're, you're using the skill in which pays your bills to, to better a product that you already love I mean, AI, I mean, you, you're definitely more of a, I guess, an AI historian than I am. But, you know, Axe International, everything is purpose built for one purpose. And that is to be an accurate rifle in whatever theater you take it in. I mean, that's why the, that's why the AW uh, was, was made, Arctic Warfare. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was, you know, they needed one that wasn't going to freeze up and they tested them in, was it Sweden? Um, like basically the Alps or some shit. Yeah. Something yeah. like that. Yeah. So, and you know, these are purpose built to shoot. Well, the short action 308 or something 308 based, you know? Yep. And, you know, here we are tuning them to trying to tune them to shoot these BR based cartridges and stuff. And then, you know, they, so if you go, if you use the rifle in which it was intended to use, then everything that comes on the rifle is sufficient. Every, the mm-hmm. way the rifle comes is complete sufficient. But here we are, me and you and you know tons of other people, are taking these rifles out of what they their intended original intended use was. And it's basically where almost, in my opinion, where everything that you have made has been to cater towards because yeah. hey me and you grand scheme me and you don't matter to Axis International no no those countries that have contracts to have you know this was it 54 countries where Axis International is the official sniper rifle of their you know military yeah, unit something I mean like that. that that is who matters to them but because that matters to them they have uh made such an outstanding product to be able to withstand whatever those military units can throw at it, which is what is allures me and you as well. So we all know that the chassis, uh, whether it be the AT or the AX, it's one of those things you either like it or you hate it. Yeah. You know, and it really wasn't made. Neither one was made to do what we're using it for. Right. So not no, it's not purpose built to be a, a, an impact in an ACC. It's just not sure. the same thing. And no. you know, an AI 
withstanding an eight-hour PRS match, and moon dust or mud is like nothing. It's not getting, you know, dropped in a helicopter behind enemy lines for a week or something like that. I mean, that's oh, what yeah. it's designed for. And buried, whatever, you know. Yeah, and it's you know, it's the short action. It's three oh eight or go fuck yourself, right? I yeah, mean, exactly. That, that's <laughs> what it is. Up until a couple years ago, when it was, oh my god, six five Creed is offered out from the factory. No way. I, it's yeah, that's the one bone that they threw us, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the one bone. Like, hey, you want to yeah. shoot this shit? Here you go. Here's a barrel. You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> that's the one bone they threw us. So, you know, uh, just so everyone knows, Axe International is not the company to go and call and tell them how you want to make some gamer product, to, you know, that you want them to support. It's not happening. You you are small potatoes. Yeah. And they, look, as a business model, I don't blame them. I ain't mad at them for it. We are not what we, us, me and, me and Sam aren't the ones keeping Axe International's lights on. So... That's why it's been so long, probably since they got someone new to uh, to like man the helm of the like the AI swag stuff to store the hats and T-shirts yeah. and that. And the other. Well, because I mean, fuck, they don't need to do advertising. I mean, goddamn, their clients are damn militaries. You yeah. know, their main clients, the ones that keep their lights on, are militaries. They don't give a fuck about no hats and T-shirts and shit. It's just yeah. nerds like me and you that that like it so much, and you know enjoy enjoy the stuff so um you know and then and but it then takes the the free market for someone that has an idea like you to then go on your own invest your own money in the prototyping and and that you did all the designing yourself all the cad models all the 3d printing prototypes before they actually got machined and then you know, footing that bill as an it, it was an investment by you. It was your brainchild and your investment. I mean, you've got. I mean, I, the first the first product I got of yours, which I didn't know you at the time, was a thumb rest on mine. Man, that thing feels awesome. You know, and I got the old style where it looks like 3D printed. You know, yeah. it's not all smooth and everything. And look, I could easily go get another one. I don't care. It's it feels good. It fits good. It functions. It doesn't get in the way of me running the bolt. It's it's like, well, that's what Acura National should have done, you know. Yeah. So my, I mean, my history with doing that was the first thing was the the bipod spigot for the AT. Mm-hmm. I did the Picatinny version first, and the first prototype I had done some machine shop in Wisconsin. I had to do it. Me and my buddy both, he, you know, he bought one, and I bought one to kind of help foot the bill and. Uh, you know, it was awesome. It, we made it, and then I redesigned it, made it look cooler and lighter and all that stuff. And I don't know how many. I sold 20 of them and made another batch or something. This was all just direct messages on Sniper's Hide and sure. no real social media or anything like that. And I did that for a couple of years, I guess. And, yeah, then I bought an AX, and my AX was really uh, – they came out the left-hand version of it. And the whole point of me getting an AX was because – I thought I could take the, you know, the plastic handguard off where you bolt that really right stuff plate. My whole intention was I'm going to buy this and I'm going to machine that flat and I'm going to do something crazy with it. That was the whole point of it. Oh, yeah. And I spent, I mean, help anybody that designs things or does this kind of stuff, you spend so much time just thinking about tinkering and designing and nothing comes to fruition 
and that's kind of what happened with that. So I always had the idea in my mind of a competition AI. And I look back, and I think it was September of 2017 I came out with my concept, my AIAC rifle, which was I drew it in MS Paint. And people were like, is this a real rifle? I'm like, ha, fuckers, I did that in paint. <laughs> I don't even have Photoshop or anything. People thought it was real. I thought that was amazing. And that was my concept. can't believe of, anything on the internet, people. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, the chassis that I design now is is been in my head for years. And it's really, it's impractical in the sense that you have to buy a really expensive rifle to get it. You're not buying a $1,200 action and dropping it in. And I understand the market is limited, but my whole objective was... This is what I want. I'm going to design it. And if I break even, cool. If I can make a little bit of money, great. But right now I'm way in the hole and I've got, you know, the pre-orders on on the Obsession chassis. And I hope everybody likes it as much as I've liked. And I barely used it because I shot last year with it at the end and now coronavirus. So, right. Yeah, I've gotten to shoot one match with mine. And uh, I mean, I could tell you it was a night and day difference from the last match that I had shot with my AT in the factory chassis. Now, that's not that my AI is not my only match rifle, but it, you know, I'd shot a couple with my um, my John Hancock and my KRG Whiskey three in between the time the last time that I had shot. The, with the AI and then my, well, my last match, the first match this year was a frontline fury. And I'm telling you, dude, I like every stage that wasn't prone, which I mean, prone doesn't really fucking matter, but every positional stage where your rifle, my rifle was be supported by something. It made me fall in love with that chassis every time. And that right whole rifle in general, you know, you know, when anybody buys an AI, they're really excited about it and they get it. They, you know, they fucking love it. They're so like, man, this, this, they almost like worship their fucking rifle, which is stupid. But, you know, I really, I really like my you know, rifle as well. But once you start shooting, you're like, hey, I love this rifle, man, but this fucking chassis is just not meant for this, yeah. you know? And then, then I was, and I was definitely in that boat. And then when, um, I guess we didn't go over how me and you met actually, uh, or, you know, got acquainted was, um, I was back last year, I don't know, early fall, I guess, um, maybe summer. I don't remember when it was, but you had, uh, you know, started your thread with your prototypes. Well, first it was CAD models. Then it was your, uh, 3d printed model. And, you know, a lot of, a lot of people, there's a lot of voodoo and shit, and people like not want to fuck with anything they've got with their AI because it's like, oh, this is, you know, so meticulous and whatever. You mess up one thing, you know, the whole. That's not true at all. And I was like, look, you need some help prototyping shit. I'll debond my shit tomorrow to get that damn thing because that thing is badass. Yeah. And 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 you you like, hey, you kind of kept me in your mind. And when it came down to it, like, hey, you really want to. You really want to do this? You really want to debond your shit? And I was like, dude, I'll do it tonight. Like, hell yeah. Tell me what I need to do to do it, and I don't know what I'm doing. That's, <laughs> and that's, that's the beauty of it. You couldn't, in my opinion, you couldn't have picked a better person to do it because I didn't know what the fuck I was doing. 
and it and it was that easy. I did it, and it was, it was the, fun, the the rifle was flawless. And so, to me, me doing it, if I can do it, by God, if you have any type of any type of you know experience or you know natural ability to tinker and play with and stuff, then you can easily do it. And it was nothing. I had like three beers, and it was done. You know, and uh, so yeah, you sent me you sent me the chat. You asked me what color I wanted when it got out of Cerakote. You know, I'm a big AI FDE sucker. Like I think that's like the most badass color. And I know sage green. Sage green is yep. is God. I know. I, yep. <laughs> but yep. <laughs> um, but uh, I, I I absolutely love it. And I I got it, got it in, and I was like, holy shit, dude. You knocked you knocked it out of the fucking park before I even shot it. Just when I got the action, fucking glued back in, bedded back in, or bonded back in, I was just looking at it. I was like, "Holy shit, this thing is fucking badass!" And you know what I tell everybody when people ask me about it, I tell everybody that it feels, it runs like an a, 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 an ACC, an MDT ACC does. It feels like that, but hey. The MDT ACC was the number one chassis like of the PRS last year, like used chassis last year. Yeah. You know, and if that tells you anything. It's not an MDT ACC, but that's the feel. It doesn't feel when you're on supported. It does not feel like Axiom National. It feels the way an Axiom International should have felt like. Yeah. And you know, you you really knocked out of the park. I made videos uh, going over the chassis and. And did a, little, a few videos of me shooting on barricades and stuff like that, trying to help out. And uh, um, it's been an absolute dream to to run now in that match setting. Like I said, prone is prone. I mean, a bi- fucking bipod in the rear bag. I don't give a shit what it's made out of or how it's shaped. You know, prone is prone. But, man, you feel every intricate detail when you're running these funky-ass positions and different, whether it be a two by four, whether it be a you know a six by six, which I've run, had to run on a barricade so far, um, whether it be plywood, I mean just anything, the balance point, the modularity, the um, the, uh, the ability to add and take away weight. Don't you remember the days where AIs were considered too fucking heavy for this shit? Yeah, right. And now yeah. everybody's <laughs> trying to figure out how to add weight to them and shit. You know, that's just the I guess the evolution of the game. It should be called instead of PRS. It should be called Spot Your Impacts, yeah. Um, because that's really the name of the damn game. If you can spot all your impacts, you can you can pretty much win. Um, but it has been a complete game. I hate saying the word game changer because it's the name of a fucking a fucking bag. You know what I'm saying? Trademark. Right. Yeah. But <laughs> but really, I mean, that phrase was out before that bag came out, and it was. I mean, it, it. I mean, I don't know what else to really refer to it as, other than a game changer for Axiom National shooters. So, you know, when I got it and got it and, and spent some time behind it and and try to run it through it, did my best to run it through its paces. I was telling, I was like, look, if you're serious about shooting your Axiom National in a competition setting, like that is where its primary like life is is in this competition world then you are doing yourself a gigantic disservice by not getting this chassis because it is the, as far as a rifle goes, it is the best money you're going to spend other than the money used to purchase the AI initially. 
Yeah. So, you know, I'm a huge, huge fan of what you've done done with it. And to me, you kind of answered the call that that AI w- didn't and wouldn't. Right. I mean, they I mean, and like I said, this isn't bagging on Action Nash because I told you if, if, if you're being objective about it, you know, the Johnny, you know, come lately uh, PRS shooter is not who if you can buy whatever they've got, but you're not their target demographic. You're not at the end of the day, their concern of your needs and whatever they have their own specific clientele that they are trying to cater to. And they do a damn good job at it. But Hey, the beauty of the free market, man, here comes a engineer from Wisconsin. who just happens to be an AI enthusiast and, and loves his rifle, but sees things that he can do to better it. And then comes out with, like I said, something that's a complete quote unquote game changer for those who want to want to shoot it. So, I mean, I think I've gotten a few people to to convince a few people to put in pre-orders on them. But what I've been telling everybody is, is if you're pretty certain you're going to get an AI. OK, like you're like, I've always wanted one. I'm pretty sure I'm going to, to pull the trigger on one. Put the fucking pre-order on the chassis first. Yeah. Because you can get a mile, you can get a, a, a an AI from mile high tomorrow or your optic tomorrow. That chassis, this is pre-order, and you know, depending on how they sell, hey, this may be the only run you do. You may do another run. You maybe do ten runs. Who knows? But yeah, I don't know. You know, once they're gone, and you're and and Sam Burns says, you know, I mean, shit, I made my nut on what I needed, and they're, you know. I've got what I want. I've got my chassis. Then, then anybody else is shit out of luck. So that's why. And look, here's the thing. If you get this, what I tell everybody, if you get the chassis, and then you decide against getting the damn AI, you'll sell the chassis like that and get your, your you'll recoup your money back. Especially when the the pre order is done and everybody gets theirs in. I mean, really, there's three of us that have got one, or I guess four of us that have that have one of these in the whole fucking world. So, you know, it's it's not out in other than like the media that that you and I put out. It's not in people's faces yet. Wait till it gets in people's faces. And then that's when they're gonna be like, well, fuck, that thing's badass. Like, I wish I would got in on that. If, you know, if you're already an AI shooter. But if you you know, when when the pre-order is done and people are starting to get their chassis and you decided you didn't want to get the AI, but you're stuck with this twelve hundred dollar chassis. There's going to be AI shooters that like see it like, fuck, like, I, yeah, I, I wish I, I'll buy it right now. In fact, I'll pay you more for what you paid for it, you know, uh, just because, hey, boom, some people that may want this chassis, they don't want to wait for it. Like, it's like the yeah. money is something different. They don't want to they don't want to ante up and then wait, you know, six, seven weeks for it. But if they had it right there in front of them, they'd spend the money right tomorrow, even more money, maybe. It's like the instant gratification thing. And I'm telling people, hey, this that's not this is not the situation to where that type of mentality pays off. This is where you need to if it's something you're even really even just considering, you should jump on it because it is an opportunity that you don't know will present itself again. Because you mentioned you mentioned it earlier. You don't know that you're, you know. You you got you 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 want to get your money back out of it. You made this so that you could have it, maybe a few other people, and and to help 
offset the cost of what prototyping. People don't realize how much prototyping anything fucking costs. It's expensive as shit. I don't yeah. care if it's a bullet or if it's a chassis, a whole rifle, a fucking whatever. It's expensive as shit. If you're not the one machining it, which I don't see a, a CNC machine back behind you anywhere. <laughs> uh, I so wish. if you're right, if you're not the one doing it, then you're have to pay somebody else to do it. And especially if it's a, a possible commercial venture, it's even it's even more money right then and there. So that you know, that's this opportunity to get this into to be to get that I guess you'd call an advantage over yourself with your current situation with your current maybe you've got an AT or and maybe even an AW or an AX and you don't like it. This is the time now to jump on it and and hey give the 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 pre-order which is half is 50% up front and then 50% uh right before delivery uh fuck dude spend the money forget it let, let it surprise just like a suppressor you know what i'm saying no nobody's walking in at the gun store and buying a suppressor and walking out with it yeah so <laughs> it's the same exact concept so it's you know but even more so that suppressor isn't going to make you a better shooter this chastity will that suppressor is not going to buy you any points this chassis will, and I've and I've already in one match I know of at least one time that if I had had my the factory AT chassis I would not have done as well on that stage because of the height of how it rides on the back. Mm-hmm. Damn near almost right there. It's under right underneath you know, and there's no top heaviness wobble. You know, you, the center of gravity on the rifle is so much lower. And sorry, side to side movement and everything. It it is completely changed the way an AI feels in any type of positional situation you could be in. Yeah. So I mean, I appreciate the uh, the positive feedback and everything. And I mean, just so everybody knows, you I I didn't pay you or do anything for this. I basically Negative. just sent I sent you one with no strings attached, basically, and. There's there's four. Well, there's five that exist. One's at the machine shop. One's with a team AI shooter who loves it, but for reasons because of corporate reasons, which I'm not sure. going to dispute Go at all. It is what it is. They're they're not going to be shooting it at a PRS match, and that's fine. I've talked to the guys at AI. They're awesome. I've told them straight up. I, my dream job is to work for you to do this for you. But this is a guy and his basement doing this shit so that's what it is to them right now and i'm fine with that you've got yeah. one I've, I've got one and then another guy rex who is max effective on social mm-hmm. media he he just got one it took yeah. a long time to get back and yeah, i was super excited i love that thing dude you're i told him i was like dude you're gonna fucking love it when you get this thing going so yeah i, I, I follow him on instagram and, and saw it and stuff and i was like dude just wait till you get it and get it going. You're gonna love it. I, I yeah, love so, mine. So check out Max Effective on Instagram. He's a way better photographer, media guy than me. I'm just kind of a and me. meat and potatoes. But yep. So I mean, when I did that concept a couple of years ago, really my hope was, hey, here's the AIAC. I people were confused. They thought it was real. I was like, maybe AI is gonna look at this and do this. That that would be my dream. Is I spent a couple days in MS Paint doing something, and then AI would like make my wish come true. And yeah, took after, it and ran with it. 
yeah, after a couple of years, I was just like, well, if I don't do this, I don't know if anyone will. So, I mean, I literally idea in my mind, I, had, I use a free CAD program called Fusion 360 and I debonded my AX and I just started doing it. And for people that are, yeah, for people that are afraid to debond their AT, I mean, I've got a plan, a video, instructions. The kit will come with everything you need from the everything. epoxy, the Except brushes. the heat gun, that's it. Yeah. Or a torch. You know, yeah. that's the only thing you need. And or maybe some gloves. Why don't you throw some gloves in the kit? You know yeah. what I'm saying? <laughs> that's the only thing that's missing is gloves and the damn heat source, you know, to, to heat the epoxy up. So it was so daunting to me that when I came up here and like chucked, I took the skins off and chucked it up in the vice. And when I got started, I was like, oh, that's it. Like for real, <laughs> it's done. Like, yep. <laughs> that's it. That's not hard. Fuck. I just, it's, I just yeah. psyched myself out for nothing. It's just glue. And so, I mean, I had, I had my AX apart for about five months. I didn't shoot the first couple matches of the year. It was the only gun I had. And I bought somebody that had taken their AT action out of the chassis. I bought that. And I basically reverse engineered the chassis and designed it the way I wanted to. So I know a lot of people will kind of turn them off was it doesn't have AR grips. It's really expensive and it doesn't have a buttstock. My my whole design philosophy from day one was if AI did this five years ago, this is their chassis, their action, their buttstock, their whole infrastructure. I'm going to design around that to be a drop-in. I'm I'm not going to design a new grip. I can't design a better buttstock. I can't design a better hinge. That hinge is – how long has that it's, hinge been bomb-proof? It's, it's amazing. The, it's the sta- in my opinion, it is the standard as far as folding yeah. buttstocks and hinges go. It locks up like it locks up like it's a solid wood stock, like a one piece. You know, that's how tight it locks up. You know, yeah. my my whiskey three did not have anywhere near the tight lock up that um, that the AIs have on that. Yeah. So why why dick up something that was done right? Yeah. You know? So, I mean, the AR grip, I, I hear you. The the new the ASR, AXSR, who knows if and what they're going to come out with new. I don't know. It's probably going to have that AR grip. Their current the architecture... Ergo, by the Ergo grip. Yeah, their current architecture doesn't, and it's the way their trigger pack is designed and the chassis being bonded makes it incredibly difficult, difficult if not impossible. And I spent a lot of time on it, and people, I know people want it, so they just say, hey, can you just integrate that AR grip? And it's it's a challenge. So the other thing is it's bonded. And my whole thing was I don't have the ability to machine a bunch of different ones with different recoil lug pockets to not bond it together. MPA, maybe they did, or maybe they just said YOLO. Here here, here it is, because some people have the MPA AT, and I yeah. know some of them had to bust out the Dremel to get it fit. Mine yeah, will it's not. it's the two mounting screws. It's the two screws for the trigger pack, and that's they basically use Dremel where the two screws go up to basically made it to the, yeah. the rear of the action. So, I mean, but in my opinion, if you've got access to the machines and you're doing so much intricate cutting on the chassis to begin with, why not just fucking machine that out? Like the, the where people don't have to touch it is literally a drop in. 
it's I because mean, it's to me a, that's a, a that's an easy fix that's like a non-issue yeah it's a company that that's they made 10 of them ever they're not making any profit on it they're losing money just like me i'm not i haven't made a nickel in profit i'm negative thousands and thousands of dollars doing this because i like doing it and hopefully someday it leads to something different than my nine to five i don't know but you know the chassis it it's going to be a direct replacement i'll send you the epoxy it's the devcon aluminum putty it's 60 bucks for a tub of it i'll measure it out for you and send it to you yeah it's it worked AI, really well it's what yeah. ai uses and you bond it together and after 24 hours it's going to be as if it was an at or ax but it's got a flared magwell that's another uh, all these design things i could talk a lot about but some people said, why didn't you do the AX mag cutout? It's all about economy. I have a lefty AX, and I thought, I- I'm going to do this. And then I thought, well, fuck, if I do this, I have to make a lefty and a righty. The cutouts yeah. aren't ambi. So I said, I can't afford to just make one left hand and one right hand. Yeah. I'll, I'll make it ambidextrous. So I, it's got a big flared magwell, and it works way better than an AT. I'm not going to say it's faster than an AX, but... The other benefit that people don't think about is if I made it with the AX cut out and you have an AT, now you got to go buy a bunch more $90 mags. This Yeah, and AW your, mags are everywhere. Yep, you take yeah. your existing AW, and I figured you've got an AT, you've got AW mags, it'll work. So it's got the flared magwell, the buttstock fold is ambidextrous with the factory chassis, it isn't. There, I redesigned that cut out for the little nipple that holds the locking stock there's a really right stuff dovetail per their spec so any yeah that was important got, too because there's there's yeah. an issue for those who don't use their spec to where like shit yep. will fall off the prototype had a spigot i deleted that i know you still use it but for various reasons the production version is going to be an inch and a half longer than the prototype so yeah if you take an acc this is two inches shorter than an ACC. So it's got eight M-Lock slots. The ACC has 10. To me, I don't see I will it. say the thing about the MDT, that four end, it is very long. And I get and I get the, the reason as far as the shooting goes. I, I get the reason why I have it that long. But man, it does look fucking a little goofy, yeah. it, it being that long, you know. So, and again, this is just another thing that I... My whole thing was, how do I do this from AI's perspective? And it was, this is as long as it can get and still get a 16 and a half inch barrel hand tightened down. So I could have made the ch- the fore end 30 inches long if I wanted to, but I didn't want the user with a 16 and a half inch barrel to not be able to use it. So That's I made it longer. very amongst, amongst AIs is like the yeah. shorty 308 barrels, you know. I mean, yeah. that's I mean, it's a sniper rifle, and you know, urban snipers that 16, yeah, that 16 inch, yeah, 308 barrel is something that's used a lot, and so a lot of people have them. It's fun. Um, they're you know a little shorty rifle and everything, and you know, you do carve a, a section of folks out by by yeah. not allowing them to use that. So I get the reasoning why you wanted to keep it to a point to where people with 16, 16 and a half inch barrels can can run that still and no problem. And I'll yeah. tell you, even even the even the uh, you know, the, I think the whole match the, that I shot with that chassis, I think I had the uh, bipod 
on the chassis and not the spigot simply because there was a few times where I would bring the bipod in. I was like, well, I don't feel like unscrewing the knob all the way to move it back to the spigot. It's fine. Get I mean, it's long enough. And then that's mind you, like I said, like you said, mine is the prototype is an inch and a half shorter. So an inch and a half longer is, I mean, it's, it definitely negates any need to like, oh, this, I, I wish it was longer. No, it's, yeah. it's actually just fine the way, it, you know, it was fine. It had been fine if you had made it the length that mine is without a spigot. It's not like, a, I mean, if anybody's seen a, a Whiskey 3, that 4 in, unless you get the new 4 in, but the original Whiskey 3s, that 4 in is super short. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, that's why you almost ha- needed a spigot, you yep. know, and so – you know, it, it, it it's a non-issue with 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 your chassis, and especially given that you you decided with the production version to go an inch and a half longer, and then you know with the M lock. So hey, if someone wants to run a few of those uh, um, the M lock exterior weight kits on the outside of the chassis, yep. bam, it runs perfect. Everything's good on. I don't because my rifle, the way I've got it set up with my heavy Palma barrel. Um, it is exactly the same weight, not by design on accident, the same exact weight to the ounce of, uh, what my Hancock weighs with a foundation MTU is 20.6 pounds with my MTU barrel that I have on for my AI puts it to 21 and a half pounds. I don't want anything heavier than that. But if I did, I mean, because 21 ish pounds is, I think. I get to a point of, you know, diminishing maneuverability and stuff like that. Um, and, but yet it's still that 20 and a half to 21 and a half is still ample weight to help with, you know, mitigating recoil and see, you know, seeing impacts, seeing, you know, your splashes or whatever. Um, you know, it, it knocks down a whole lot of the recoil and, uh, yeah, so it's uh, but there are people out there who want to run a twenty-four pound rifle. Yeah, and if you want to, hey, yeah. you know, line that bitch up with those uh, those M lock weights on the outside, knock yourself out. You, you have the ability to do that now. Good luck doing that on a factory AI chassis. Yeah. So that so the other features, there's an internal weight, which will come with the kit. So the proto was one and a half pounds, and the production one will have two pounds. I'm still toying with the idea of two individual weights or one big one and then throwing in a one pound weight because i really want it to be one piece to make the forehand completely rigid oh and yeah from what i from what i've seen most people with the acc that run the internal weights they run all of them they don't tune it with the internal they tune it with the external so sure yeah so we'll see and then it's got a night vision bridge uh the production version's a different design that's easier to manufacture stronger it bolts from the top so you don't have to take off the external weights to reposition it mm-hmm. it's just a better design and uh so the production kit i mean 1200 bucks it's a lot of money because it doesn't have a butt stock but if you have your at you can use that butt stock fixed that's, or folder doesn't yeah doesn't I matter just, I just and that's then, what I've been using with mine for ninety percent of the time. I mean, I've shot, I've shot my AI maybe, I don't know, fifty, seventy-five rounds since I got the AX buttstock. So I've been running it this whole time uh, with the AT buttstock, and 
I mean, yeah, you you can go and buy the the Target buttstock adapter to be able to change the cant of the of the butt um, the recoil pad on the AT. You can do that; it's fine. Um, but uh, the 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 factory AT, the way it came, uh, I had the thumb hole, and it. I mean, it still felt amazing. Yeah. Uh, you know, I didn't find myself like, you know, I really got that AX buttstock. I had no intention of doing it. I did it because of an opportunity. Someone was looking for an AT folder to put on their AW and uh, they had a fixed AW or something to the effect, or I forgot what chassis he had. It may have been a 700 AI, uh, AI chassis. I'm not sure, but um, I, uh, I was like, well, if I ever wanted to, this is my opportunity. Somebody wants to buy what I've got instead of me, you know, forking out the whole, basically $900 for the, uh, the AX buttstock. I can, you know, I can get it for yep. 600. So I, I, that's why I did it, but I didn't feel handicapped the way it was, but, um, you know, it's the, the ability or the option of upgrading is always there. And yeah, it, for sure. And it's, and it's an easy keep, process. Yep. Right. And look, this is what I did and, and not really by design. This is cause I was just fucking lazy. But when I put, when I bonded the, the rifle back into the chassis, I I had debonded the folder already, and then because I ADD'd out and and debonded the wrong thing, and uh, I did not I, I debonded the front and the rear, uh, forward and aft of the folder, and when I saw I just didn't even bond it back. I just threw the fucking screws in it with some blue loctite and it never loosened up at all it felt bonded you know what i'm saying mm-hmm. but it made it boom that much easier when and so that's what i would suggest if someone is in a boat like i was in where you have an at uh or even an aw you can debond all that bond the action back in leave the uh the buttstock unbonded just tightened in you know and torqued or whatever and for the time when you need you know you may be down the road wanting to upgrade to the ax buttstock you can then it's just pulling out four bolts and or four screws or whatever and bam bob's your uncle you got your just throw some of that compound back in there and you know go to the races it just makes that process that much quicker where you're not like oh i gotta debond again no, do it all at one time. Just don't bind it back. Just don't bind that part back. Bond it when you get that new one. Or if you decide, hey, I love it the way it is. I'm not doing it. Bond it when you want to. But what, I, what I've what i been telling everybody, uh, the avenue to go, if you don't have an AI already, but you're wanting to get one and you're interested in this chassis, is the same that you know, guys like Frank and Mike uh, had mentioned about going the um, ATLE route. Go buy, if you want to buy a new one, a new rifle, Go buy a fixed AT, buy the chassis, and buy the AX buttstock that comes with the folder, and bam, it all mates up the same, no matter if it's a folder or a fixed. So, bam, you're done. And it's the cheaper. I mean, you save yourself about four or five hundred bucks that way. Yeah. So you know you can look at it that way, and then hell, if you you know. Well, I guess if you're doing that, you didn't have a folder to sell, so that wouldn't make sense. 
but um, it's still a cheaper route to go that way. That's if you're wanting an, an, uh, uh, to get into an Action National, you're wanting to get in this chassis, you want to buy new, like a new rifle instead of buying a using off the hide or something like that or a gun broker, you can get it for a good deal maybe, then that that's the most economical way to do it. And then no one could tell mine from theirs. You know what I'm saying? No one would know it was a fixed AT at one point. Yeah, I would. I mean, personally, I would recommend bonding the buttstock on, even if you use a little bit. But, I mean, mine mine has a little bit of fishtail, even yeah. if it tightened down. So, But, I mean, in any case, it's the, the production chassis is, is coming up quick at the machine shop. I've been in contact with them. They're open through the coronavirus stuff, and they're going to be programming it soon i was given a 14 to 16 week lead time when i placed the po in february so i'm telling people loosely june i hope there's not a lot of anger if it's a little bit longer than that i know how the gun industry is coronavirus all that stuff but if the machine shop delivers the first week of june as expected and it takes about three weeks to get the weights, black nitrided, the aluminum anodized, and the chassis seracoded. I'm hoping end of June is what I'm still targeting. And like you alluded to, I'm going to get some made, but you know, right now I got about 20 people on pre-order, and my plan is to get some made. The exact number, I, I don't know, five or ten maybe. It's right. coming out of my pocket. I'm, this isn't. This isn't sam's machine shop business that i'm trying right. to stake stake my life on so honestly if oh yeah well and, and that also that very same concept is another reason why i think people either well they should but i think most would not like hold you to that hard date because it's not sam's machine shop this is your brainchild this is you facilitating them getting that but Sam is not the one cutting them, and Sam is not the one seracoding them. They have yeah, to know that and understand that, that you are at their mercy. You can't give them something that you don't have in your hands. You are at their mercy. So, I mean, if people, you know, I, I, I don't foresee, you know, people giving too big a too big a, um, a headache over it. But know that everybody listen to this. Know that if you're interested, in it, know that going into it. And it's okay. You'll get your shit. And it's just Sam's Sam's not the one uh, cutting the chips. Sam is the one who's who's putting it together. You know, I, the idea, the engineering behind it. But end of the day, you got you know Joe Bob that runs the machine shop. Um, you're at his mercy. And whoever it is you got doing it did a great job. The machine, the machining quality on my prototype is, I mean, great. There's no, I didn't yeah. see. Not a single blim. The Cerakote guy, whoever you did, uh, did, had to do the Cerakote, did a great job. Everything, I mean, it was as as good of quality craftsmanship as what you would expect when paying, like you said, $1,200 for a chassis without a buttstock or grip. Um, it is top notch, and it was it's really well done, really well thought out, of course, but equally well executed. Yeah, and I, I, I mean, I'm at the mercy of those people, but I, I hope everyone on the hide has seen my openness with sharing that information. I'm definitely not the type that's just going to 
sit back and not tell anyone if there's a delay or, or right. lie or anything. Prom- I mean, I literally, yeah. I literally talked to the machine shop. They said 14 to 16 weeks, and I told everybody I think it's going to be about five to six months be- because right. of this, and there's nothing more I can do. But, yeah, I, and I didn't go for the cheapest place or anything like that. I'm, I'm using a local Cerakote applicator and a local anodizer, and then I'm using... Um, a big name in the industry for the black nitride but the other thing i didn't mention with the whole kit has that night vision bridge but the production version is going to have a 20 moa picatinny rail that has um, an integral recoil lug into it into the night vision bridge and it'll be coplanar with the tall 20 moa rail that you can get for the at so most people, like me, I'm just going to put some grip tape on the top without the pick rail, use it as a thumb support for an over-the-barrel. Yeah. But should you have a clip-on night vision or thermal or something and you go, hey, this is my only AI, I want to run night vision with it, I got you set up. But my guess is hardly anyone's going to use it for that. But, yeah. hey, it's it's an option. And, you know, when you talk about that 1200 bucks. How much is an internal weight from MDT? $150. How much is a night vision bridge from AI? $250. And yeah. it doesn't have a pick rail. Right. So exactly. I'm trying I'm trying to include that stuff. And it's not a high enough volume to say, you don't want the night vision bridge. Okay, I'm going to take $100 off. You, oh, get yeah. the kit, you get the kit. That that That's how it's got to be for this to make sense. And, and really, I... I wish I could make more or had more confidence, but to be honest, if I do this pre-order and tomorrow AI comes out with the AI AC and it it's amazing, it does everything my chassis does and more, you're going to have to buy a $5,000 rifle to get it, but that might turn enough people off to go, all right, Sam, fuck you, you have 50 of these sitting in your basement and you just blew your family's savings versus yeah. I got I got five extra made and maybe somebody with an AW will want to buy it because they don't want to buy a new rifle. I have to balance that too because this no, isn't I, this isn't my get rich quick. Oh this yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, you still got that nine to five. You know, you yeah. still got that, and that's what that's what pays that's what pays the Burns family's bills and and feeds your feeds your daughter. So, you yeah. know, that's I mean that's the that's the difference. But the thing is, people have to also realize you're this is the only way you're getting that. So you gotta like it or love yeah. it or or go over. This this is the only way you're gonna get it. If you if you, if you want to be able to 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 you know have something like this, this is what you're gonna have to deal with, and that's understandable. And and the thing is, the situation is very understandable. Like you said, this is something that you're doing in your basement that is your brainchild that you are basically footing the bill to get done and putting your like you said your family savings on the line to make this happen. And I, I know that you're going to be tickled pink when it when it's all said and done and you broke even, you're going to be tickled pink. Yeah. And so anything outside of that is going to be bonus. You know what I'm saying? So, and you know, you, you may go right back into another production run if if it do, goes well. You know what I'm saying? So that's great. You know, so um, to give maybe more people time to to see it out there in the wild and really start to lust over the damn thing. And then, you know, you're still have you then met with have the ability then because you made a little bit to do it again to facilitate yeah. it. But that's the thing that but I, me being me, I'm not that big of a betting man. 
I, I I'm gonna go in on it before I, I wait for the possibility that happened. Then I miss out when it doesn't. Right. Yeah. So that's why I tell everybody get in on the pre-order, even if you don't have an AI yet. You know, the AIs are you can get them anywhere. Use one. You can get a new one. You can have it shipped to your FFL the next day. You can't do that with this chassis. You don't know when these are going, how many of these are going to be available. You know, I mean, so that's what, and like I said, and it's one of those investments as a consumer that you could, nobody wants to buy something that if they couldn't, if they, if they needed the money, they couldn't sell it. So that's why some people stay away from certain kinds of cars because the resale value sucks dick. It's a nice car, but if they had to sell it, they're not getting their money back. It's a poor investment, which car in general is a poor investment, but uh, this is something that you could get every dollar back and possibly you could get more out of it because there's no wait time. If I'm, if, if Joe blow is selling it on the hide, you know what I'm saying? So and that that's the, the good thing about it. This is a safe investment as a shooter in, the, in <laughs> your, in your rifle. This is a safe investment. You know, it's as safe as and, you're going to get in this game. Yeah. I know, and I know it's bad timing. I'm, I'm very glad. I feel very lucky that I, pushed through this project and got the pre-order going when I did, because I think yes. if I started now, it would be, it'd be a tough sell for anyone, myself included. I, I'm in aerospace. It's very uncertain if I'm going to be getting a paycheck every week this year. I, all of this money I have for the chassis is in my bank to pay the machine shop, period. I'm not spending any money, just like most other people. We're not going out. I'm not going to go buy a tangent with this money. This isn't a Ponzi scheme. This oh, is... Yeah. This is to make the chassis and pay the people, and I have to come up with my own money to do it, too. So, I mean, I'm hoping that this coronavirus shit tapers off and mutates and everybody's fine and it's all sunshines and rainbows. I don't know, but hopefully we're shooting matches soon and people can see this thing in real life. If you're in Wisconsin or Illinois or anywhere, come to my match and I will let you shoot it, even though it's left-handed and you can see what it looks like. I, I, I don't know how else I can sell it in person other than guys like you and Rex having them in hand until yeah. the well, we production bad, we versions bad, are out there. Yeah, we bad shared our picture on their Instagram yeah. page. It got like thousands of likes and stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, it was pictures of me from that, uh, a couple pictures of me from the Frontline Fury match and then some of you shooting uh, the match when it was, uh, you still had the, uh, the stainless finish on it Yeah. Uh, before it got Cerakoted. And then I think so, it was Suppressor Nation, they shared it as well, stuff yeah. like that, and it got a whole bunch. So it definitely got some eyeballs on it for sure. And I'll say this too, I mean, I'll, I'll give my little info pitch. If you're looking to find more information, maybe you're listening to this and you've never seen it, I'm Sam B 300 on Sniper's Hide. I have been a member for a long time and you can look me up and find the threads. Well, it's a big thread. There's tons of pages yeah. on. And on, on Facebook, I'm accuracy obsession, LLC, Instagram, accuracy obsession. There's an underscore in between. You can find pictures. If you want to email me, ask any questions. And I'll say this, if you're interested, but you don't have the money right now, email me or DM me and say, Hey, I want this in three months. Uh, and I know I'm not going to bet my life on that because a lot of people say they want something and when it comes when to the credit card. Any, uh, yeah. But it would at least give me something because I don't have a lot of that to go off of. So you can email me at sam.accuracy.obsession at gmail.com. So any of those ways, you know, message me and I'll give you the information that 
I can on this project and where I'm at and pictures and all that stuff, you'll see it all. And uh, I guess I, before I forget too, the other AI parts I've done, if you go to anarchyoutdoors.com, I've partnered with them for my other parts. So for the eight, if you got an AT, the spigot, there's a Picatinny version and the really right stuff Arca version for your AT or your AE and AW completely solid it's it's baller that was my flagship oh, yeah, it's real nice. four, four oh, years yeah. ago then you got the thumb rest the things like 40 bucks it's it 3d print epic it was 3d printed on a consumer version when i first started it and i sold a couple hundred of them now anarchy carries them it's on a two hundred fifty thousand dollar hp fusion 3d printer and it is the best color texture feel strength it's amazing so yeah, and, and mine's that, not, Mine, and I'm yeah. okay with it because it functions so well. I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I mean, it's, I mean, it's good enough for me. It does everything I need it to do. So just I don't even feel need to spend on, the. Yeah, yeah, you get a kickback. <laughs> Here's a free chassis. Now buy one of the thumb rests. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I'll, that's a good way to look at it. Yeah, I'm gonna buy one more. I'm gonna buy one of the thumb rests. And, uh, and I'll then keep so, a spare. Not that I'll need it, but fuck it. Yeah, and the other product I have is the AX low cheek piece. So this I designed before AI started selling that buttstock. This was in my head because I knew that if you had a Remington 700 chassis or you put this buttstock on your AT, that cheek piece doesn't go low enough. So that's same. It's 3D Unless printed. you got retarded high rings. Yeah. You have that stupid exactly. high rings. Yeah, so I run... My setup is I run the low cheek piece with the tall action rail and then a low spur. So I'm kind of in between. I, I need yeah. a little bit more height, and it let me figure out the coplanar thing for my night vision bridge. But if you want to slam your scope, uh, you pretty much have to have a lower cheek yeah. piece. Yeah, I mean, like we that's... talked about, going back to what we talked about with AI, everything being so purpose-built, that ax buttstock was purpose built with that what we're that thing that part we're talking about their their cheek their uh their cone piece it m- was there for the high uh the high rail with on, a 1.5 inch right yeah because you're gonna have to run that to get yep. the, the bell housing over the, the handguard yep. so that's where it made sense so you know that I, I had to have it i mean i when i got mine i was like oh well maybe i will maybe i won't i don't know i don't have the like lowest ARC rings on mine, dude. My neck was so fucking cranked over. I was like, yep. yeah, this has got to happen. I got to get that. And then, and even so, I've got it basically slammed because I don't have a cheek weld. I have more of a chin weld. Mm-hmm. So you know, I used to shoot with my literally my cheekbone buried on the stock, but I've changed to where I'm shooting more off of here. And uh, it even i've got it i think all the way down and it's perfect uh, so your cheek piece yeah. is all the way down and it's perfect now because i had the low at rail on it 20 moa at rail so um and and i've got uh that was a 28 millimeter height uh arc rings that's like their medium i didn't really want to think yeah yeah something like that i forgot what it was um but it it, it runs perfect with that and another thing about that too uh, going kind of coupling with going back to the um, the uh, night vision rail, um, I've got mine put in the position exactly where I want it, which is the front end of the the night vision rail 
is just sticks out just forward of my objective lens. The actual I, I run the uh, the sunshade on my scope, but I put and obviously you know Sam can see this, but you listen to it can't. But I run my finger basically on top of the rail and pulling back via the bottom of the bell housing back into my shoulder. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's where it's absolutely perfect where I can feel the night vision rail and the scope bell housing. And I'm not worried about smoking my finger on a hot barrel. Yeah. Um, and uh, I don't do the, the thumb, like the C grip. I run it this way so that I'm using my index finger and pulling it back. I mean, it's okay. all in preference to how you shoot and everything, yeah. but the, it worked that the fact that I can move that so far back and under my scope, because the night the night vision rail is under my scope, um, where it's just forward of the bell housing that much, and it is absolutely perfect. And I wish my, I mean, I love my foundation, but I wish it had a night vision rail to be able to do to basically mimic the same thing because it just on your chassis on that AT with the, everything is set up exactly for a purpose, and I wish I could replicate that with my other match rifle instead of me having my hand over my bell housing of my yeah. scope i'm pulling it into me and and it, my wobble zone just goes to like nothing just by doing that so now with this i'm having to put my thumb along the side of the butt i mean of the uh fore end of the stock and i'm pulling in with my firing hand in the grip so i mean it works but i like that it feels so much better on the on the accuracy obsession chassis with the way that's set up. So you've got basically the, the, um, the, well, at least the prototype, the screws, the, uh, night vision rail sits interior inside of the rail of the forend. And then you have screws, three screws on each side going from the outside end towards the barrel. And you've got holes from the far end all the way back to the action, basically. So you have so much versatility in where you put that. If you got really long monkey arms or you're knuckle dragging, dragging knuckles everywhere and you want your arm that much far forward, fuck it. You can move it there and you can, you know, clamp it there. Um, or like me, I don't have short arms, but I mean, I can, it's that that's perfect. That's the way I run it. So I like it. I have the ability to do that. That's the modularity of this chassis um that it just it just makes it that much better and kind of more personalized and, and customized for the shooter of, of how you like to run a barricade and i think you knocked it out of the park with that and so i mean that's that's one of my such such a simple concept but almost so pivotal as well it just changes the way it, it feels and I, I i love it so you you definitely had some i think foresight when when designing that way yeah, and that was, I mean, I did that like one in the morning in my basement two years ago or something, just thinking like, <laughs> man, this is, I got to make this and it, you know, stuff takes a long time to make. But then the other thing, which I don't think they're available yet at Anarchy, they're, they should be working on them, but I've got some weights. So for people that are um, going to continue to use the factory AX chassis with the key slot, Mm-hmm. I've got some forend weights for that, which will also oh, damn, work. I didn't even know that. That's awesome. There's gonna be yeah. a lot. Look, there's gonna be a lot of AX guys that like their AX chassis because they look like I told you earlier. Yeah. I just talked about earlier. There's people who like you either don't like it or you do like it, right? There's people who really like their AX chassis, and now you just 
once again, had the shooter in mind when, you know, coming up with his products, you know, that doesn't go to your chassis. That goes to Action National's yeah. chassis. So, you know, it you're 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 definitely supporting and I've said this before and I, I and I prefaced it when I made the comment. I don't know if it was on Sniper's Hide or a podcast or Instagram, but you are facilitating the civilian shooter more than way more than the actual manufacturer of the rifle is. So and that that's that's really cool because this isn't some corporate boardroom of, okay, well, what's our next product we're coming out with? Oh, let's do this. This is coming from a shooter. You are actually a very accomplished shooter. And we're an hour and 55, in, and I'm not really worried about it, but I think me and you could do a whole other podcast outside of the Accuracy Obsession, and we'll go into some some more. I know, you know back when this got started, you, you mentioned to me that you wanted to do an episode and where we're talking about more like that mental prep, that mental mindset place that you're in because you feel that's a a strong suit that you have. That's like my weakest part. Um, You know, whether it be lack of preparation, whether it be lack of paying attention, whether it be, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like I bombed the last stage and I'm having a hard time getting out of that funk. And then it then directly affects my next stage. You, that's your strong suit is that portion of the game, which, hey, it is, my opinion, is 90% of what this game is, is the mindset before and during that beep of the timer. And so we could do a whole podcast on just that. But, I mean, you are, you know, most matches you shoot, you, I mean, you normally are in the top, you know, 15%, 20% of the field, if not better. And so, I mean, that's something I can't say. I've, I've gotten a top 21 time and yeah. it was 20th. It was 20th. I mean, you know, so I barely made it, squeaked it in there, but, um, you know, that's something I'd love to, to get in, into the weeds with, um, on another episode because it's, I just think it's such a pivotal, a pivotal part of the game that, yeah, it's touched on, but I think it's not touched on in the, manner or the amount that it's that it's due and so that's that's something that i'd like to to get into um a little bit unrelated but i wanted your opinion i was going to ask you this if we were on the phone or, or doing this but i want to do a podcast have a guest on who would be a shooter's opinion as, as you as a shooter and me as a shooter who our opinion is as far as this game goes that we're in, who is the, I guess the guru of, of reloading, like as far as their process, what they do to find their loads, not, not just like brass prep and, Oh yeah, I run a mandrel or I I use the uh, fucking primal rights primer or no, as far as finding their load, boom, you got a new barrel. Let's, let's, you know, I don't care about break-in. Break-in's bullshit. Shoot the damn thing. But uh, more so like, hey, I've got a 120 rounds on this barrel, 150 rounds on the barrel. It's time to find a load for it. You know, where you go, what you what you look for in the load. Who would you say is that guy? Now, Scott Satterley would be a good, quick, easy answer for that. But, you know, he's done – there's multiple podcasts he's been on that you can just go listen to that. Don't There's no need to listen to mine. 
who would you think, I guess, other than Scott Satterley, because he is a wealth of knowledge. I'd love to have him on. But like I said, he's already been done. You know what I'm saying? So he'd be repeating himself. Who would you who if it was you want the answers and you're asking the questions, who would you, would you have in mind to that people may know or maybe someone they, they may not know that you would want the answers from? Uh, there's two people that come to mind. I don't know them personally. This is, I mean, the the upside of social media era is you can be friends with people and, and, yeah, and the, know them. There's very few of those upsides, by the way. Yeah. So, <laughs> so if you wanted to talk, I'll say two different two different names. One from the PRS side of things, the guy that I see that is always very knowledgeable and runs his own reloading class is Derek Love. Oh, he's, yeah. I didn't think about that. He's in Kansas. I'm friends with oh, yeah. him on Facebook, and he's always posting stuff. He, he does a lot of information where he talks about his ladder testing. So he's coloring the bullet, shooting a ladder at 600 or 1,000, and getting that vertical out, tuning loads. And, you know, I think he would be really good from the PRS game. I think he was even in uh, one of the Precision Rifle Network's videos where they tested like a, a dropper and a charge master and a Prometheus. I think Derek he's was the guy. Ball. Yeah, he's I think Derek, <laughs> I think he was the guy testing that shooting on that distance. So he would be good. I, like I said, I know he runs a class, you know, a, a paid reloading class that fills up and Conway led distributors. Yep. Uh, yep. So you go check him out, go check out Derek. He's a cool yeah. dude. He's always eating cosmic brownies. And then the other guy um, that, again, I don't know personally, but is, I, from what I can tell, is just an F-class superstar is Eric Cortina. I don't know Eric if that's Cortina, how you say, yeah. say his last that's, name, but that dude is, is neck-turning, yeah, sh- shooting two-inch groups at 1,000, like no joke. Like the dude's ridiculous. One, I've met 1.3. He, he had a five-shot 1.3 group. And look, the, the, the last one was the one that made it 1.35. The first four. Have you seen the video? No. Oh my God! I saw the picture. The first of the four were, would the first four would have been a group at a hundred that you would have gone and shot a championship with. Yeah. Um. And the the fifth one dropped like half an inch, and that's what gave it the 1.3. And it was yeah. all on video. It's fucking retarded, dude. It was bananas. Uh, but yeah, see, and, and my theory about that is, I mean, that's part of his game. Those small groups at a thousand are part. I think he has such a wealth of knowledge, but in order to have a really accurate load for the standards of what we do, that's literally probably doubling or tripling your, your workload in in your reloading room. You know what I'm saying? I mean, everything comes into play. Every, I mean, literally everything comes into play. He's such a genius uh, at that. Um, you know, and if, if I didn't know him, um, but I listened to him on uh, the VP Precision Podcast with Joe Walls. Yeah, that was a he's, good one. He's, he's notorious for shooting those tiny little groups with a PRS rifle. Yeah. He, you, know, uh, you know, his PRS rifle shoots those guys, maybe not an inch and 1.3 at a thousand, but you know, definitely he mentioned on the VP, the podcast he's on with, with John Pinch. Um, he the that day, that morning of the podcast, he shot a 0.35 inch group at not 0.35 MOA. I've done that many times, 0.35 inch group at 500 yards. 
That's, that's ridiculous. That's, yeah, yeah, pretty good. That's pretty bananas for the PRS rifle. You know, that was yeah. an impact in a foundation or some shit like that. So it was, uh, that's awesome, you know. And But, you know, somebody that maybe, I think Derek was such a good, that was such a good suggestion because he's not, he's not everywhere in this about reloading. But yet he has so he he could be because he is that he does he is very as far as a PRS reloader goes he's still very meticulous, um, but maybe not that F class bench rest meticulous. Um, but I think he's in that 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 happy medium and um, and yeah maybe I'll give Derek a shout and uh, and see if he'd like to come on and stuff like that. But that's something that I, I want to get. Uh, on the books for the podcast is getting, having a, a 100% dedicated reloading episode with someone much better at it than me. Um, I can produce, you know, very good loads and stuff, but it takes me a whole lot more rounds to get there than it probably would guys like this, where, you know, probably they can get the equal or greater accuracy, you know, you know, accurate loads in a, fifth of the amount of rounds that i use you know to get that you know so i'm still nailing i mean i've got a pretty decent system but i'm still trying to nail it down and make it as efficient as possible uh and yet still produce accurate hand loads um but you know it's it's always nice to hear it from someone who's basically could, could write a book on it you know so and that's 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 a goal that i'm gonna have so um, but that's something I want to ask you as Sam, the shooter, you know, and Sam, the listener, I know you listen to my podcast all the time and, and have given me a lot of good feedback and everything. And even during the, the audio debacle time, <laughs> the first four or five <laughs> episodes. So, um, um, is there anything else you want to get out about the, uh, about, you know, what you're doing in the future or anything about we haven't covered on the, on the chassis or anything like that before we, before we head out? I think the chassis is pretty much covered. I mean, accuracy obsession. Look me up on social media, Sam B three hundred on Sniper's Hide, and uh, get a hold of me any way you want, and uh, I'll uh, I'll get you on the pre order, yeah. or I'll give you yeah. some information. I mean, in terms of what I'm working on, everything other than the chassis, Anarchy Outdoors, uh, awesome awesome website. They have everything you want. So if you go and you buy a thumb rest, you could buy a tangent theta and an ACC and whatever the hell you want they'll hook you oh, yeah. up so and if you the like i, I had mentioned the weights I, I think i oh yeah so the the ax and at four end weight they're a pound for a pair so you can only get one of them on the at but you can get up to four of them on a 13 inch ax rail so if you want to nice. throw four, four pounds on there sure. and it's the, the ai key slot and then I have a butt stock weight, so it'll just the butt pad spacer for the AT. If you drop one of these in, it'll add 11 ounces to the butt. So I mean, nice. if you throw a fat barrel on an AX with a couple pounds of weight in the front, it's going to be balanced too heavy in the front. Add some in the rear. I mean, you could get a 25 pound AX with this if oh, you yeah. want. That's what you wanted, yeah. I've also got a two piece AT. Arca rail that I designed a while back that they're supposed to have been in queue at the machine shop. Again, I'm not sure. They're out in Utah, so I give them their stuff, and sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes the shop sure. is free. So if Another you thing about Anarchy Outdoors, they send you candy when you order stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So so they're, so they're a good company. 
they're a good company. They run sales all the time, 10 or 15%. And, uh, yeah, they'll send you candy. But I don't know, yeah. man. This this chassis, I've been working on it since January of 2019, and I'm not... I'm going into the finish line strong. I mean, I'm, uh, the production version I've tweaked multiple times to really make awesome and make it what I want, but what other people are going to like too. And once this is done, I don't know. I kind of want to start doing some stuff outside of AI. So honestly, if if anybody's listening or anybody follows me on social media, hit me up if you got an idea. If you think it's a million-dollar idea or just a stupid thing that you wish somebody made 10 of, I've got a big list of projects, but it, I'd like to get some feedback on something that people are wanting, you know, other well, you than know what a, I'm, You know what I'm going to tell you. Stuff. You know what I'm going to tell you I want. No, I don't know. We've talked about it. I want a bag rider for an AX buttstock. Yeah, I know. It's I have been working on that for so long. I can't. I know. That's, I know <laughs> it's, I just, we got, I think I got faith in you, Sam. I think you can do it. Yeah, I know. And then, I mean, the next thing ultimately is uh, make my own chassis for a Remington 700. That would be. Oh, yeah. I've got some insane ideas. I mean, insane ideas. But working on it from 10 a.m. to 2 a.m. on weeknights is it's not sustainable. So it's it's hard for me to to sit down and crush stuff out all the time. Sure. Absolutely. And uh, I've, I've told. I've said this very thing about the the um, accuracy obsession chassis is that it's not just a awesome or good replacement for or alternative for an Axe International. The chassis is good enough that if I had a Remington 700 footprint action, I'd be happy with it in that when there's so many options out there. Like I would buy that chassis for yeah. my Remington 700 footprint uh, action. That's how good it is. That's not just a, oh, well, this is a good, but the only alternative for an AI. No, it's an awesome-ass chassis no matter what rifle's sitting in it. If you made it for a Remington 700 uh, variant, then it would be equally as good. You know, it w- It's not just a, an alternative for an AI. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, it, the, the quality and the engineering behind it is good enough to rival with what's out there on the market right now. I mean, fuck everybody and their brother has a Remington 700 chassis right now. Yep. Um, you know, making one or whatever. I mean, Falcor Defense just come out with one recently. I mean, those are, you know, gas gun guys. Um, and you know, it, your chassis is good enough to be in those type of conversations. So, um, yeah. Anybody listening to this, if you're on the fence about AI, you got, you're doing yourself a, a big disservice by by not jumping in on this even before getting the AI because like I mentioned once there there's no guarantees at all in this world other than when you put your deposit down on one you're going to get one but you know the ability to put that deposit down may be dwindling you know who knows who knows what the future holds you know um, you're not some big machine shop that can do whatever you want whenever you want about this yeah so. Um, it just makes the production costs just higher for you um, if, rather than it being, you know, something on your machine that you paid for and that you own, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So, if you uh, if you want an AI, you can uh, call up Rex at Max Effective or Jason at Euro Optic or Mike at Mile High. I've, you know, I, I've 
know all of them. They're awesome. I wouldn't hesitate to recommend any of them to buy anything. And oh yeah, or yeah, go on yeah, freaking might. sniper side and buy one used. I mean, yeah, I mean, look, ATs, ATs now. Now that like the the AXSRs coming out, I can you know they're out available now. There's probably going to be a lot of ATs and maybe even AXs going for a steal. I'm sure. Um, and be honest, the I mean the the new the axsr or you know all the the new chassis they've come out with i'd still rather have your chassis i mean it's the i mean the, the i do like the buttstock design and and you know, the grip's cool and then the thumb the uh the thumb safety is cool and everything like a selector but um yeah as far as the chassis goes the rest of the chassis i'd still would rather have yours over it yeah. And I've been I've been getting a complete fucking hard on boner from that AXSR as well. So that that says a lot about what I feel, what I think about think about your chassis. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't have any feedback, like bad negative feedback to give you like, things I would change. And normally I can find my wife complains, but, you know, I always can find something wrong with something, something I'd like better. Whether it be food or anything, I'm like, yeah, this is great, but I think if they did this, she's like, oh my god, David, I'm like, shut up. I had none of that for your chassis. There was yeah. nothing. I was like, man, this is great, but you, if you did this, it might be a little bit better. Nothing. I had nothing. I was like, dude, I, no, no flexing in the fore end at all. And the, and the, the new one, I've been telling people, the new one, the actually the new one, the production, um, the final production model is going to be a thicker mill. Um, aluminum than the one that i have and i i didn't even see the need for it because i was like i mean that's cool that's got it that's just you know more even more you know rigidity and durability but there weren't no problems the one that i had and that just show, you know it goes to show that it's going to be even more rigid and and then you go throw in the one piece weight you know it's going to be an, an absolute tank and yeah. damn near dropped off your house and you're okay as long as it don't land the bolt handle <laughs> and you know what i'm saying yeah, so, it's going to be uh, 70-75, and it's 13% stiffer, and it's an inch and a half longer, so it's, I mean, that's what you want, right? It's all about yeah, the length. It's, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's, it's, that's what she said. It'll be a beast, uh, man. Yep. So, anyway, Sam, just hang on. We'll end this, and then uh, I'll, I'll wrap with you for a minute before, uh, before I go. So, uh, guys, um, Feel free to comment. If you got any questions for Sam, you can leave him the comments. He checks them. He leaves comments too, or hit him up directly on his Instagram, Facebook, uh, Sniper's Hide. And uh, it's the Accuracy Obsession Chassis, like we've said a thousand times. And uh, it's um, do yourself the favor and invest the money. Use your Trump bucks. Oh, oh my God. Perfect. <laughs> the Trump bucks. I came up with the price before. I came up with did, did I, I didn't, I didn't do you guys did dirty. Did you start no. this mess? So, uh, maybe. <laughs> Maybe Trump was listening and he's like, I don't know, 1200 bucks for that chassis. Maybe I should get this. Maybe you're giving 1200 bucks. There you go. <laughs> Spend your Trump bucks. So, anyway. All right, guys. I appreciate you. And uh, tune in for the next podcast. Uh, what's today? Fucking Monday. Uh, I might squeeze one out later this week. I do got a couple things. Um, if not, uh, but definitely be next week. I need to get another one cranked out. So I appreciate you listening. If you made it this far, I owe you a beer. So um, cool. Appreciate it, guys.